Welcome to the Delta Flyers as we journey through the wormhole. Your hosts along this journey are my fellow esteemed Star Trek actors, Terry Farrell, Armin Shimmerman, Robbie McNeil, and myself, Garrett Wong. To receive the complete version of this podcast, please go to patreon.com forward slash the Delta Flyers and sign up to become a patron. Welcome to our newest co-host, Armin and Terry. Hello. Thank so you. Thank exciting. you. I'm, yeah. I'm very happy to be here. I have goosebumps. I'm, I'm so, so excited. excited. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're launching. <laughs> I can't believe it. <laughs> we are launching. And not yeah. only are we launching this new chapter, yeah. but the Delta Flyers is a podcast. I want to say this right up front. We paused because of the strike. Right. Now that the uh, SAG after strike is over, we are for the first time an official SAG after podcast. Thank you. Uh, Thank you very much. Thank you. So excited about that. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a great journey. Uh, We've already watched the pilot episode that we're going to talk about today. Um, Wow. It's going to be so many things uh, happened in that pilot relationships, um, you know, uh, the stakes of what's going on. It's setting the story, setting the story, setting the story. Yeah. Introducing the characters. All right. First order of business is to wish people happy birthday. That's the new, mm-hmm. uh, that's one of our new segments. So Robbie, yes. who do you have? For for our Patreon uh, subscribers, one of the perks is uh, birthdays on this podcast. So our first one is Sandra Stengel on December 4th. Happy birthday. Sandra. Happy birthday. Yeah. Happy birthday. And Maria Roselle, December 6th. Happy birthday to you. Happy, happy birthday, birthday, Maria. And I, wait, what, we, it, we also have to yeah. say happy birthday to Terry because Terry's birthday was yesterday. So happy birthday yes. to Terry! Happy birthday, happy birthday Terry! Terry. <laughs> okay. Uh, we also want to welcome all of our prophets uh, that have signed up. Thank you for signing up. Robbie, who do you have? Our prophets for this new chapter in our podcast include Stephanie Baker, Jason Oaken, Marie Burgoyne, Chris Hansen, Janet Harlow, Brian Burrow, Heidi McClellan, Rich Gross, Mike Goo, Tara Pollen, Vicki Williams, and Holly Smith. Who are our other prophets, Garrett? We have AJC, Nicholas Russell, Lisa Robinson, Alex Mednis, James Morrow, Roxanne Ray, Andrew Duncan, Feroza Mehta, Jonathan Brooks, Gemma Laidler, and Matt Norris. Congratulations, all of you on being Yeah, prophets. thank you guys mm-hmm. for your support of the podcast and our Patreon supporters. Uh, we thank all of you. And we're, we watched the pilot episode. We're excited to talk about it. We're going to take a quick break for a, a moment with a sponsor, and we'll be right back with our recap and discussion of Emissary. All right, everyone, we are back. Now, what we used to do is we would introduce each episode. Robbie and I would introduce each episode with a poetry synopsis. We're going to continue that tradition. So, Robbie, why don't you take it away with your limerick for Emissary Part 1 and 2? Yes, my limerick. I was blown away by this episode. Uh, To me, this episode was very much a Cisco story. It, It really centered around, that was the heartbeat of this episode, so my poet, my poem, my limerick is going to uh, honor Cisco this time. Here we go. There's a tragedy at Wolf 359 that leaves Cisco quite far from fine. Now he's commander of the station. It won't be a vacation 
the new Star Trek series is officially online. Ooh, lovely. Yes, thank Ooh. you. There's a, my, my first there DS9 go. limerick. There you go. Now, we have told both Armin and Terry, if they want to contribute and throw in a haiku or limerick for any of these episodes upcoming, they are more than welcome to do that. My haiku for Emissary, part one and two. Ben, haunted by past. He must help unite Bajor. It's not linear. Wow. Good. Linear. Good. That's three syllables, That's right? Linear. It's three linear. syllables. Okay. Linear. It fits. Okay. It there fits. Thanks. Nice. Okay. I am not a talented writer, but Did I you thought come? I I want to be part of the team. You came oh up my with gosh. something. Oh my gosh. Go. Go. <laughs> and I want to go before Armin because <laughs> he's very talented. Okay. Cisco is stuck in a rut. His trauma, it is in his gut. Giving lessons in linear time, beings give him the key to his mind. <laughs> and now his personal mission is clear. Commander Cisco is action in high gear. Oh, wow. Nice. Bravo. Bravo. <laughs> that is beautiful. All right. That's wonderful. I'm so Thank excited you. you're doing poetry. I did not expect this. Okay. Yay. Yay. So um, I am not going to compete with all you poets. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a novelist. I'm not a poet. Uh, um, so what I want to do uh, from now until the end of this is to actually find a word and define it. Uh, usually a word in the title. So that obviously the title of this episode is called emissary. This from the Oxford English dictionary. Emissary, a person sent on a special mission, especially to gain information or promote a cause, which I think is a perfect uh, title for this particular episode. Yeah, yeah. that's et etymology, right? The study etymology. of language and words. Yes. Interesting. Wow. I love that Excellent. you're our, our resident etymologist. Entomologist. Yeah. Uh, I think an entomologist is someone deals with insects. I could be yes. wrong. Yeah. I could so, be no, wrong. You're not. See, I don't even know <laughs> what don't put, don't put ento. It's etymologist. Etymologist. Yes. See? Yes. That's why we need Armin here to, to make <laughs> keep us on track. Wow, if it's Armin, arcane that's words, so cool. I know them. If it's arcane words, I know yeah. them. Okay, so Emissary mm. was uh, written by Michael Piller. Story by Michael Piller and Rick Berman, directed by David Carson. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Any thoughts on the writers and director before we get into the episode itself that you guys have? I'll let Terry go first, and then I have some thoughts. Okay. Yeah. Terry? I was shotgun hired, so I think it's probably better to hear from Armin first, okay. because I came into the... Yeah. Right. Did you did you audition for for David Carson, the director? Do you remember any feedback or anything that in your audition process with the director? I just I remember um, Rick Berman pretty much talking when I was auditioning. So okay. I really think that David Carson, I don't remember meeting him. He might have been there, but my guess is he was probably on the set working. While mm. I was having my audition. Oh, I see. I could so, be uh, wrong. So it was, it was Berman a and a table bunch of suits. Full of people. And a bunch of suits, yeah. right? But okay. I only remember Berman talking to me. Yeah. How many auditions did you have for DS9? A bazillion. 
Oh, like all me. at the end. No, it felt like a bazillion. <laughs> um, they wouldn't see me for a really long time through the summer. And so in August, they still hadn't found Dax. And yeah. so they had me come in and I did test twice. Um, I didn't mm. have to, but it was like I tested one week and one gal didn't show up. And I had tested against or with her against her um, on several, several other projects. So I was not going to... Um, you know, leave that up to fate. I had to, yeah. I felt like I had to still show up and have my face. Wow. The so rest. they said to you, we're going to test with a girl that wasn't there. Uh, you're welcome to come back and be there. No, on the you date. don't have to come back. And in you fact, with SAG, you, you really, it's, it'd you're be, not supposed to, they can't ask you to, oh. but I've, I volunteered to, yeah, there's certain things Good that it's un, undue stress that they can't put us under. Were you wow. the last person cast in the, yes. in the, you were. Okay. And Armin, do you know the order of who was first, second in terms of? I know who, who was first. Yeah, who would... I was. Oh, wow. Okay, I I was first. Um, and I uh, do we have time for this? I was yes. first because uh, Berman told me after I auditioned for the last time for the suits, um, Berman said to me, uh, "We wrote the part for you," so um, they knew wow. they were going to use me. Wow. Um, uh, so I, I was first. Who was second, third, fourth? I don't know. Okay. Uh, but but I know Terry was the last. And and there is a line in the episode that that uh, I kind of love because it refers, I think, to Terry, or at least Dax not being cast yet. Mm. Uh, which is uh, um, oh, that's funny. Uh, the <laughs> Cisco says, "Any news on our science officer yet?" <laughs> I. You know what's funny? When I heard that line, I was wondering. Was that ironic or was she, cause I knew that she got cast late. Yeah. That's funny. A little of both. A little wow. of like. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we started, we didn't have a Dax. It was true. Terry uh, wasn't part of the, the cast uh, at the first day. She certainly became part of the cast immediately after and uh, was, mm. uh, if I may say so, the best part of the cast. So. Aww. Aww. I'm in that so, and... so the true line should have been any word from our casting director about our science officer it should have been the actual <laughs> Hello, line. Junie. That was the Junie original Audrey. line. That was the original line, but it was too long. So they it cut it. It was too long. Clearly. <laughs> it was too long. <laughs> All right. I heard, I heard something about, just to finish some casting memories and, mm. and rumors. I heard something that uh, about that uh, Avery wasn't going to come in for, for DS9. And that David Livingston's the one that said, send him the script. He was in New Mexico or somewhere. S make sure Avery gets the script. Send it to his house directly from us. Like David Livingston really thought that was the right fit. Did you hear any of that? I don't I don't know any of that. Uh, I, I do know another story tangential to that. Uh, mm -hmm. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. So it may be apocryphal. Hmm. There was, they had some discussion about another actor for the role. Uh, Avery was perfect for the role, so uh, we're very glad it turned out the way it did. Yeah. But the other choice may have been James Earl Jones. Wow. Oh my goodness. Oh. That's interesting. Wow. Oh, he feels like a warm hug, though, doesn't he? Yeah. Very, I don't know. Both it's very like, skilled and, and strong personalities, but very different tonally, you know? Yeah. For now sure. I'm just starting now through my head is just running every prominent African-American actor. Like, 
uh Wonder Denzel who Washington yeah. as Cisco. I'm just I'm going through all these things, but <laughs> that'd be way James too expensive. <laughs> yeah. Way too expensive. Jones. My goodness. James wow. Yeah. Wow. But very cool. Yeah. Any other thoughts about uh, our directors and writers, Michael Pillar or but David or... Uh, David Carson was yeah. Very gentle director, very kind. Uh, he had all the shots worked out in his head. Um, he he approached us all with a very gentle touch. Uh, I'm sorry we didn't have more episodes where David directed. What people may not know is is the the original. I don't know if it applies to syndication. It does apply to primetime, uh, and and Robbie may know better than I that the original director of a show uh, gets residuals for all the episodes because he sets the tone, he sets the look, uh, or she sets the look, uh, mm. and therefore is entitled to residuals from the DGA. Of, so David got residuals uh, for seven years from us. Yeah. Wow. wow. Yeah, it's it's a mm -hmm. it's a modest amount. I don't want to overplay that that royalty that gets paid out to pilot directors, but it adds up over time. You're yeah. absolutely right. David it's like Carson, doing guest star. It's like yeah. being a guest star. If you do enough guest stars, eventually it starts to feel like starts oh, adding good up. income. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Hmm. yeah. So David Carson got paid a modest amount, but every time an episode was produced, David Carson received a royalty. Yeah. For that. So being and, a pilot. And Michael, you can tell Michael Pillar wrote this episode because there's a lot of it about baseball. I know, I know. <laughs> and there wasn't a greater fan of baseball than Michael Pillar. Yeah. Uh, he, I remember seeing him on. He had a collection of antique baseball cards that were just gobsmackingly wonderful to look at. Oh my yeah. Um, um, uh, so the, I smile every time I hear the speech about Cisco talking about baseball because that's straight from Michael Pillar's lips. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I went to a couple Dodger games with Michael Pillar. He had season tickets. He always wore that Dodger cap. I don't know if you remember. He always had yes, that Dodger cap 100%. on. Yes, hundred percent. Yeah, and he was real philosophical about baseball. You're right. So it fit that that love of baseball fits right into this this pilot episode beautifully. Uh, before we okay. jump into everything, I have a question for for our DS9 actors. Yeah. Now, in pronunciation of words, uh, one of the things that drives me nuts is that when people pronounce the capital of China. They mispronounce it. Ninety nine percent say Beijing. They zhuzh it up, but it's actually Beijing. It's just straight J. There's no ZH sound, but everyone goes Beijing. Yeah. But in, in this episode, some people say Beijor and some say Beijor. So there's a ja and a non ja in this episode. For instance, Patrick Stewart says Beijor. So he just is just a J. And other people I've heard say Beijor. What is it? Which one is the proper pronunciation? I would say Beijor. Uh, Me too. I, I would say that. And, and there's a third pronunciation, if I may, which is Patrick Stewart, who says Bajor. Bajor, excuse me. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Ah, so Bajor, was... Bajor, and Bajor. And you say Bajor. Bajor. Okay. So there's a Zha yeah. there. And and listen well, to Sid uh, pronounce my character's name. He never says Quark. He says well, Quark. Quark. Yeah. See, that's the, <laughs> that's the other, that is the other name, Armin, because in there, there's, it's Quark with an A, and also so I think I hear quark. sometimes quark, like more of an quark. O sounding. Do, how do you pronounce the proper pronunciation of your character? Paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yes. Exactly. Uh, I don't care how you pronounce it. Just, pay. <laughs> just paycheck. 
Okay. Quark, quark, quark. Okay. All right. All right. Let's get Let's into this right episode. Right yes. Opening. Yes. So we begin the opening scene. The opening shot is basically a scroll, a Star Wars like scroll of words talking about Borg Picard leading the Borg attack at Starfleet Wolf 359. And that is exactly how the Voyager pilot began too we also had a scroll of words and it's maybe that's a theme i don't know no wait uh uh-uh we can't just pass by this i can't stand that it copies star wars well no like it's uh -uh. a little different though star wars is tilted at an angle going away from you this is going straight up so there's a a i'm I'm with terry on this okay it felt a little derivative i wonder (laughs) i wonder if uh the pilot of TNG. What was the title of that? Uh, far, um, far point. Encounter at far point. Something at Encounter far point. Far Encounter point. At far point. Did they have a scrolling title? I don't know. I. Don't we'll put that out to the pilot. fans. I don't think. But no. I, I wonder if, if it, you know, because they did it on ours. They did it on yours too. Yeah. So I wonder if that was uh, a thing. That was a thing. Yeah, a thing with the pilots of of these that generation of, yeah. of Star Trek shows. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I do remember when I auditioned, they said that Deep Space would be the dark uh, Star Trek and that we would be the Star Wars of Star Treks to think of oh, it that way because of the promenade and quarks being like the bar at um, in the first Star Wars uh-huh. that Ooh. we all saw. Mm. Yeah, because, you know, you saw the aliens and yeah. how they lived their lives oh, and it was more all of us matriculated together. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. And we see that. Well, we haven't gotten there yet, so I'll right. be quiet. <laughs> wait, Terry, wait. There's so much more to go. <laughs> All right. So after that scroll, we do have a view screen shot of Borg Picard ordering Starfleet ships to disarm their weapons and escort the Borg to Sector 001 or be destroyed. Then we have a tight shot on Cisco, And then we see the captain of the Starfleet vessel is a Vulcan who just happens to be somebody very familiar to all of us. J.G. Hertzler. My goodness. And you know what's interesting? I thought that maybe Cisco was not on the same ship, but they're on the same ship because it it almost seems like they're co-captaining to me. It was like, wait, what, yeah. who's the real captain here in a way? I right? think JG is the captain. Yes. And I may be wrong, but I think Cisco is supposed to be number one. So he's the FO. He's the first officer. Interesting. Okay. Yes. Interesting. All right. Well, Cisco, Cisco does uh, give the order to move into position after JG says load to- torpedo bays and ready phasers. And they, uh, you know, they engage in this massive battle. We have this awesome, cool exterior shot of battle in space, which oh, Robbie in our prior discussion, this is yes, really, I lo- really I good. I loved it. Oh, I, gosh. I love this whole opening from right. from here until, spoiler alert, until everything explodes. Um, right. I thought it was action packed. Yeah. And uh, I, I was very impressed with all the shaking. The camera was shaking. You guys, everybody, you know, in the scenes were shaking beautifully. Yeah. And um, and this is pre-CGI, I, all that exterior shots, right? Yeah, all so. the exterior shots were models. So the camera movement around the any ships or anything happening had to be practical model work. I was very impressed with it. I thought it was great. Yeah. You guys, your thoughts on the, uh, uh, the, the, the visual effects, Armin and Terry? You, Very impressive. You, a great yeah. way to start the show and yeah. uh, you know, get people hooked into watching. Yeah. yeah. Especially, uh, I think, a note to make about when we're watching this mm-hmm. show again is that in that time, we tried to do everything or the production did everything they could to be as technologically yeah. advanced as they could be. Right. Um, 
And so there are things that we have to kind of not be quite so hard on as we're watching it because we don't have the advantage of doing everything by computer. You know, there are a couple things in this that we do by computer and they were very expensive at that particular time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 30 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And you were shooting on film, you know, like us uh, on on Voyager. You were shooting on 35 millimeter film. Film. It wasn't digital. Mm -hmm. wasn't HD. There were no computer CG uh, ways to deal with things. So, yeah, yeah, it was very Mm -mm. impressive. No well, shortcuts. Continue. Yes. Mm-hmm. It does not go well for any of the Starfleet ships. They are just simply outmatched. And during all the explosions and mayhem, I'm pretty sure I saw Dennis Madelone fly through the air. Because <laughs> it doesn't matter what de- what alien garb Dennis Mal what <laughs> alien Dennis happens to be, I always know by his physicality, that's Dennis Danger Madelone right there. And am yeah. I correct to say that he was the stunt coordinator for both DS9 and Voyager concurrently at the same time? Right? Probably was. He's certainly was yeah. for Deep Space Nine. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yes. And the ship that Cisco was on sustains critical damage, warp core will lose containment within five minutes. Vulcan JG is dead. Cisco gives the command to evacuate the civilians to escape pods. He's struggling through these corridors, and there is a constant handheld shaky camera work, courtesy of Marvin Rush, our DP, who was your DP in the beginning. And uh, we just, we see the mayhem. He finds his wife. Uh, he finds Jake pinned under some wreckage, pulls him out. He finds his wife also under some fallen beams. But after being scanned by the Bolian commander, we find out that she's already passed away. Cisco doesn't want to leave. She was, yeah, she's away. under, she's underneath all this, this rubble. Mm. And I, I made it note. She looks great. She's very glamorous. <laughs> yeah, she like, does. She's no blood. stunning. She no, she's, she's stunning. stunning. She it's is. Like a, it's like a glamour shot. It is like, you know what? Like sleeping beauty, right? Like sleeping freaking beauty. Yes. Yeah. I I mean, maybe that's why Cisco didn't believe she was dead. He's like, no, she looks too good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It was crazy. But yeah, everything else was a disaster. Like the biggest action movie I've ever seen. Right. And then you cut to her and she's like glowing. She's like a blue. Not even, not even dirt. No, there isn't even a smudge on her face. Right. Okay. Not a trickle Uh, of blood. No. (laughs) He's pulled away by his Bolian commander and Mm. they end up in an escape pod with Cisco's there, Jake's there, some others. And there's a really super cool shot of when the escape pod is launched from the vessel. I love that shot. It's just so (laughs) they're out, they're gone. And of course, at that point, all the shaking stops, right? Because they're now on a a vessel that's not uh, being destroyed. I did did notice, by the way, when Cisco is calling for help to the Bolian, the way that he said, he's got this line where he says, Help! No, no, no. He I, goes, I Robbie. Robbie. He he goes, help me. He yes. extends the me. Help and this me. is yes. This Do is. Do you the remember beginning. that? Yes. This is because that be- is like his, he's just gutted. He's yeah. yeah he's, he's gutted. Gutted. But he's he's his line delivery is so different. It's very unconventional. So unconventional. Yes. That is the first time that you hear something. Whoa, that's yep. not what I expected. So that's already something welcome to your introduction to avery brooks i know that's what i'm saying that was the first line i just want to make sure we comment on that because it caught my attention the way he called for the help yes and it felt like jazz we've talked about this very jazzy off the air but Mm -hmm. avery's kind of unconventional approach to uh, you know the the delivery this language 
He has yes. an unconventional approach to the yes. English language. He, he does. He yeah. thinks you're right, absolutely right. He's a jazz musician and he thinks in jazz patterns. Yeah. And his stream of consciousness is is the most unique one I have ever encountered. Yeah. Wow. It's there's poetic. Just such a, it's poetic. In a there's way. just such an authenticity to how he is gutted, and that is how it comes out yeah. vocally. Yeah. It's not yeah. anything he would have planned. It's just so, and that's what we're talking about the jazz. Yeah. Every moment is so authentically real and happening yeah. for him. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. that I just that caught my attention. So anyway, back yeah. on the we're on the escape pod. Yeah. So after they're shot out, um, there yeah. is that shot on Cisco staring out the window and Cisco, the look on his face to me looks like 110% anger in a way I would have liked to have seen 60% shock, 30% grief with a dash of 10% anger. But to me, it kind of read as just, he's just pissed. And I, I, I was a little taken back by that. I don't know what anyone else thinks on that though. I thought, I thought the shock and the, and the anger at, at the Borg killing his wife made sense to me. I, I wish he had hugged his son. That was the thing that I missed. Hey, in that moment. If he was holding, yeah. yes. If he, if he was just holding, holding his really son, tight. Yeah. And then it would have tied up. into the theme better to me, but otherwise okay. I thought okay. that whole You're opening okay up it. until here was great. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Cool. Um, we jump forward in time. Three years later, we see an older Jake sitting on a dock fishing and Ben finds him. And he asks how the fishing is going. And I love and this how- this is Ciroc. This we, is Ciroc. This is our first, right. first shot of Ciroc. But let's just say the casting of Ciroc, he does look like Jennifer. But I do love how Jake responded to his dad because he almost gave a Cisco Avery-like uh, dialogue. His very first dialogue, he responds after uh, Ben says, how's the fishing going? He says, small fries, threw them back, want to go for a swim? So it was very <laughs> jazzy to me. And yeah. I thought, wow, that's interesting. Um, but Jake's not happy about living on a space station. And Cisco tries to allay his fears. They walk out of the holodeck. We realize it's a holodeck. They walk out arm in arm. And they walk to a window where we have a nice clear view of the Deep Space Nine station for the very first time. With and, the music swelling up. The and theme, the music yeah. swells up. The first up. time yes. appearing in the episode, the theme music uh, appears with that shot. Yes, with that shot. And then it segues into the actual opening sequence, correct? I love your theme music, by it's, the way. This is the first mm. time I watched your your entire opening credits. Yeah. I, had it, I had it turned up loud. Yeah. It's epic it's royal there's something it's, regal it's and majestic yeah. and yes. it's inspiring is the other yes. thing yes, and inspiring. i have told i have told fans for many many years i said i love voyager's theme music but deep space nine to me is is just it's, as good it's amazing and ds9 and voyager are the two best and tng sounds like a, a high school marching band is what i always say <laughs> that's my little knock on them Sorry. You know, they were the ones <laughs> to get it all started. They were the ones oh, that yeah, but they were but they, got the, but they got okay, it, Enterprise is their theme hey, music wait, is wait, even wait. worse. Armin started on Next Gen on, too. On TNG. That's true. Don't that's forget. A, I know yes. that's true. I, I get that. I get that, but <laughs> our but music is way better. Dated. Yeah, but come you on. know where my true alliance is. So, <laughs> yes, I started I there, and, I and, and uh, that's that's another program altogether. But um, <laughs> yes, I started there, and and it, as I said earlier, because I started there, they wrote the part of Quark for me. So, yeah, I love that. All right. Wow. After the wonderful intro music, we have an exterior shot showing the station as well as the Enterprise docked at DS9. There's a station log from Commander Sisko explaining that the Bajoran provisional government has requested a Federation presence after the withdrawal of the Cardassian 
occupational forces and uh it's uh, it's it's a nice it's a nice shot because you notice the scale of how big the station is in yeah. in you know relation to enterprise being docked there you understand how big the station is it's enormous mm-hmm. it's massive um we have a shot of cisco with jake tagging along being debriefed by o'brien they're walking when, through when we first come in yes this is the first time i see those doors oh the doors the, the cardassian the, door opening up like that yeah portals the portals, Super, the portals yeah. excuse me the portals Super how cool. was that working because i'm so used to we had the doors that just did this it's it's like it's like a gear of a machine yeah. Machine is what it is, right? Isn't that what it is, guys? It's just, it's just, yeah. And like the doors on your show, it's they're operated the same way. It's uh, yeah. two two crew guys on the side pulling, you know, pulling, pulling yeah, strings. Yeah. strings. Um, Did you ever yeah. have trouble with those? They seemed like they oh, were. They I, look I don't. Heavy. I don't ever remember my character. Terry probably did, but my character rarely went through the. I mean, I hardly ever left the station. Yeah. So I, I have. I have memories of going through open doors, so right. but not having them open not open shut. for you. Wow. Terry, what about you? Did the doors ever bounce or do weird things and you had to go again? No, it was me. I would step on the threshold and hit my head. I ha- I swear, <laughs> I still have a bump on my head from those doors. And, it, oh, and it, wow. invariably, some crew member, as soon as I would hit my head, would go, watch your head. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks a lot for that. Yeah. You know, I never had that problem, Terry. (laughs) I don't know why. I don't know why. Yeah, Yeah, the doors. Yeah, the doors. Why? why? (laughs) Even if I had Terry, I would never have felt it. So it's okay. (laughs) No, because it was all rubber. rubber. (laughs) I was with you. I was with you. Okay. That first shot of the doors opening to me, I felt like those doors were probably challenging for actors for the crew to get through. Sometimes those those round portal to if they're carrying a camera steady cam shot or something i bet yeah. that was a challenge an yeah. ongoing challenge yeah still a cool looking door regardless such a right? cool looking door right all right and so, o'brien o'brien is in this scene right yeah, yeah he is o'brien i real i didn't realize he did 52 episodes of tng yeah he did a lot so of he's episodes. i mean basically he's being dropped off this is his he leaves enterprise yeah. He leaves TNG and he and the baton is passed to DS9. Basically, great, is what's yeah, happening. Um, so they walk through the rubble and the damage and the promenade, and the Cardassians have basically have decided to trash the place as they were leaving. And it's interesting because in my world of like looking at real estate properties in Los Angeles, every now and then you'll see a property which the person defaulted on his loan, and because they're mad. They, tr- oh my gosh, like they mess everything up classic, inside the house. Yeah. Oh, classic. It's just angry. And that's what the Cardassians did. But we and, do. And I'm going to yes. stop you right there to add yes. something. I think one of the things that I like about it thematically, about mm. the trashed set, yeah. is that for the original Star Trek, for TNG, the ships, everything was always immaculate. Everything yeah. was perfect there was no dust uh you know yes when they got attacked there was flares of things but everything else was perfect it's like a cleaning crew came in a moment before they turned the camera on yeah but i i think as as terry said earlier we were going to be the dark show and and everything is at sixes and sevens on this on this ship mm-hmm. and, and that's the big sort of an indication to the audience this is going to be a different star trek 
Yeah. This mm-hmm. is going to be a, a radically different where things are not in place, where things don't go together well, where things have to be massaged to get them to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I think you're right. Thematically, it's it's uh, it's right on point, especially and also with uh, Cisco's internal life. I mean, his life has been destroyed. It's it's in know, a mess itself. Wife. Right. Yeah. yeah. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Great. Um, as they're walking through the promenade, we do get our first glimpse of Quark and other Ferengi packing up the belongings of their their business. And as they walk on, a Bajoran elder sort of approaches Cisco to welcome him and asks him to to enter since the prophets await him. Well, Ben looks at him strangely and says, well, no, I, maybe another time. So he declines and walks away. The classic uh, hero's journey move. Yeah. It's like, hey, hey, your no. adventure calls. <laughs> yeah. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not yeah. ready yet. Yes, yes. Yeah. And Robbie does talk a lot about uh, the uh, who's the author that does the uh, Joseph the, Campbell's yes, Joseph hero's Campbell's journey mm-hmm. kind of work. I love Different I love characters. the models of that and yeah. just the the archetypes in there. Right. Yeah. The the monk that comes by, by the way. Do we know when, him? When Cisco passes, mm. when Cisco rejects him, yeah. the monk gives him a really creepy, ominous look. <laughs> he does. does. Yeah. Yes. And aren't you? It's like, oh, good. Don't follow him. He's yeah. <laughs> he scared me. <laughs> yeah. Like he's planning to mug Cisco, right? Yeah. Like, follow me around this corner as my friends beat you up and we take your money. Okay. Yeah. Uh, ben, Jake, and Miles enter Cisco's quarters. It is also a complete mess. Jake complains about the lack of bedding and the broken food replicator. But I love this little segment here. Ben takes Jake aside and he says, we're going to have to rough it until we get things up and running. Okay. And then little Jake goes, okay. And then Cisco goes, okay. He he mocks him right there. And again, I think that's an Avery Brooksism right there. I I don't think that was even in the I think that would that have been in the script? Oh, too, too long ago to remember. Yeah. Uh, But uh, I, and Terry worked more with Avery than I did, but that seems so unlike Avery to do something like to that. do an ad lib. You mean okay, not an ad lib, but Mm-mm. to 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 do a, a child's voice and, mm. and to mock mm-hmm. that uh, that seemed very unusual to me. But I, yeah. as I said, Terry spent more time with him than I did. Mm. Well, no, I I agree with you. That feels very. Um, I, I rem that hit me like my childhood. Like oh yeah. yeah. And, and it's such a way of shaming. And I don't think of Avery as being that kind of parent yeah. and, and that kind of friend. I mean, because he's, yeah. he, he kind of felt definitely mentorish to me yeah. on a, and on a parental yeah. level, because he's enough older than me. So, but I don't think he would, I, wonder, I mean, he would I, kind of like, you know, but he wouldn't. He would uh, mock his son's way of saying that. So, did, I mean, did they you have, guys have the script. Sorry, Robbie. You guys have the script still, right? The the first script. I'm just wondering at, at some not. point. Oh, you don't? Do you have um, your first script, the pilot script? I might okay. have it, but certainly I haven't seen it in 30 years. So. Oh, my goodness. Well, let me yeah. ask you this, though. Let me ask you this. Did yeah. they allow, did Avery or anyone, were, were you allowed to ad lines or we were so tight you know you could not say we couldn't say anything uh, if or the or uh or anything it had to be no everything it, scripted what um what did um judy brown used to say dlp dead lovey dlp what does lovey. that mean dead letter perfect oh dead letter, dlp lovey i love yeah, that. Is so that your that's another reason judy yeah. brown so that's Judy's another awesome. reason not to think that he would have ad-libbed it because okay. 
Not that's what that, I would, that's, not that yeah. he's not that kind of actor. Yeah. Right? Because he yeah. is. I just wouldn't allow it. It's right. just not the set we were on. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. There had been problems with ad-libs, as I understand it, from Next Generation. And mm. uh, Berman just didn't want to have those problems over again. So. Oh, so it was the TNG guys that ruined it for all of us then. <laughs> Thanks, much TNG guys. There's so much we can attribute to TNG. The TNG. Oh, yes. And Armin, you, so much you good shared and that with bad. us as well. Yes. Well, that's why there's no DS9 movie or yes. probably a Voyager movie. <laughs> All right. So Ben and Miles then walk into, do you guys call that the control center? What do you guys call that? Ops. That main, Ops. Is that operations? Is that what that yes. is? Yes. Okay. So they walk into the operations area, which is in complete shambles as well. Cisco eventually walks into this side office to meet Major Kira, who is on a heated call with a Bajoran leader on the Bajor planet surface she is in a bad mood cisco asked what's bothering you can her tell she's in a bad mood because her hair is her got hair off. is <laughs> she doesn't always it's always about the it's hair about on the star hair. trek yeah um who she gave doesn't... her that hair dude <laughs> sorry i don't she know didn't really it wasn't it was, as bad I... it wasn't as big or bad or fluffy or whatever through the whole episode but in this particular no. scene it, uh, it, was it was extra it, it's you it's know like what she was going like? out no, you know, it didn't yeah. look like her at all it looked like i'm dressed up to go out for dinner it, it, but it also looked like the hair department started to go one way with the hair and then they changed their mind and the other part of her hair changed to a different hairstyle like there's multiple <laughs> hairstyles going on in the same head of hair but she's oh in a horrible mood Cisco asks what's bothering her she doesn't she doesn't believe that the federation even belongs there she yeah. doesn't want the federation there and she continues which her again rant. which again is hmm. is indicative of that theme that I mentioned before yes that that this is not your 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 daddy's yeah. uh, Star Trek. This is, she's off, she's saying, I don't want the Federation here, right. which you never hear on Star Trek. Exactly. Yeah. No. Yeah. And it already begins in that state of like uh, of, of tension and drama to begin with right off the bat. She continues this rant with Cisco trying to smooth things out and they are interrupted by an alert. And she contacts Odo about a break in A14. He doesn't read it because his security array has been down for a couple of hours, but he'll meet her there. And Ben follows, even though she says, you don't need to come along. He still tags along and follows after her. Um, I personally, the minute this, you know, we see Nana for the first time, Robbie, I thought, Belana Torres. Ta-da! Yeah, it was a, yeah, a very bit. much like Roxanne's character of just defiant and just, you know, ready to, to duel, I felt. Yeah. Very much. Essence it, of it's Torres. A tribute, it's a tribute to Michael Pillar. Uh, and Nana said this often. It's a tribute to Michael Pillar that they created, he created with uh, with the studios, okay, a very powerful woman figure. There, as, as Nana said often, when she first read the script, she thought it was a man. She didn't think it was a woman. Mm. Um, but mm. Ma Michael was trying to make a point. Michael was a feminist. Michael wanted to make a point that, that women could be as powerful as men. And we had not seen that a lot on American TV up until this point. So mm -hmm. he was creating a character that would be a role model for many women to come. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. It's interesting too, the Bajorans, I did a little, uh, went down a rabbit hole about Bajorans because I was like, where did this whole Bajoran Cardassian war and everything, the history of that, where did that start? And it started on TNG in the fifth season. Okay. They introduced the Bajorans. And originally I, I read the concept was that the Bajorans were at a in 
uh, in a war with the Romulans. That was the original concept. Oh, okay. And Berman was just like, ah, Romulans, we've seen a lot of Romulans. Let's use the Cardassian. Let's do that. So it's it's just, yeah, it's very interesting, the history of of how that came into the canon of Star Trek and the mm. the, the Bajoran history and this, this uh, very spiritual alien species that mm-hmm. that had religion was so deeply embedded in them that was not something that had been explored before too so to see the evolution on your show with her character I, I, and and the whole the whole story how it's really at the heart of of your series i think is very cool. right we we were we went into an area called religion which again uh, the other star trek shows had had avoided as as, as much as they could oh yeah we were, we were going to go into areas that had never been explored before we were boldly going into those areas. Yeah, <laughs> literally. Yeah. Yeah, religion and spirituality, you're right. I don't ever think I saw any of that little episodes here and there. Yeah, with, with guest stars, with guest not, cast, but not the main cast. Not built into the yeah. DNA of your show. Correct. It was built into your well, show. Well, and Correct. also, they were all one-offs that you could pretty much watch. Mm-hmm. It was built into how you were going to have the overall feeling of our show, right? Yep. We we were confronting it all the time. It wasn't like, um, okay, well, we handle it in episode 36. Right. But we don't need to deal with with it for the rest of them. It's, it keeps no, popping it's, up. It keeps popping up. It's throughout. a through line Always. to yeah. the bloodline of our show, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Remember, the name of the episode is Emissary, which becomes enormously important at the end of our series. Mm-hmm. When what what happens to Cisco at the end? Don't tell me. I Don't tell me. I, tell I haven't seen it either. No spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen the seventh season. Okay. Well, yeah. Exactly. Oh my it's god. Be so That's weird all new for, me. for you. Yes. yes. Okay. So all right, in a couple so... of years. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's get back to the story. We're in uh, section A fourteen. We see Nog now. Who we don't know. It's Nog, but uh, we I know it's Nog. He's keeping watch while his partner in crime is loading items into a bag. As they exit the shop, they're confronted by Odo. And as they try to run away, Kira and Ben block their escape route. They turn the alien turns around, looks at Odo, and starts swinging some type of medieval-looking weapon. Tosses it, and it goes through Odo's face because he's a changeling. And I know that was not cheap to do. And it sticks into the wall, right? So um, he turns around, and he now tackles. He tackles the alien. Odo. Yes, he, Odo. I want to ta- talk about when Odo that's a stu- tackles That's him. immediately a stunt double. You can tell that's oh not. My, it is it was not a Renee. Bad match. Oh my god! And they even they even they after they he's got him twice. against the wall, they he, they have the stunt double turn towards camera as well, and you can see even more clearly that that is not it's Renee. Not Renee. No. Yeah. Um, um, no. Yeah. And so then there's a shot from uh, of, uh, Cisco's phaser against the wall to stop the the fight. And uh, Odo is completely taken aback that this is the new Starfleet commander of the station because he has a rule, no weapons on the promenade, not even phasers. All right, I wonder any comments if, about this scene? I wonder if the stunt double, to me, that jumped out. There's two shots with yeah. a really bad match. It's yeah. clearly not Renee where the stunt double's tackling. Yeah. Like back then, there wasn't HD television. It was standard definition. It was, we were editing. I don't know what your show edited on in the beginning, but when we started Voyager, they were editing on some old system called the Montage, where it was videotapes. And like, I just wonder if the resolutions back then, they didn't even catch it. Like now we Uh, catch all that stuff. But back then, it probably, like Terry was saying, the technology just wasn't 
the same standards that we have now. So that was probably something that would have blown by everybody. And even if they did notice it, I imagine it would have been too, like, this isn't important enough to reshoot. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. We got to keep going with how how expensive was our pilot. It was enormous at the time. I remember it being like, what? It was like a big deal. How much they spent on deep space nine at the time. Yeah. Yeah. The other question I have about this for you guys, Terry Norman, nobody drew a phaser in that when they stopped Nog and the, uh, and the, um, and his cohort, uh, Renee didn't draw a weapon. No one drew a weapon. Was there a rule about weapons on your ship? Well, Odo didn't allow weapons on the ship. Right. Uh, uh. There were weapons. That on, on occasion, we saw weapons on the ship. But but uh, Odo's policy was that there should be no weapons. Um, yeah. And he, as far as I know, um, I don't think he ever drew a weapon in any of the episodes. Wow. Could be wrong, but I don't think so. That's a detail I didn't know. Like on our show, we drew weapons all the time. We were sure. we were always shooting and f- firefights and things. Yeah, that's a detail I wasn't aware of. So in that scene, it kind of threw me. I'm like, wait, they're trying to stop a bad guy. Why aren't they drawing their phasers? Or well, but... Avery certainly did. Yes. Yeah. 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 But he then that's Starfleet, you know, and th- that's yeah. we were just talking. And about he's new. He's a newbie. He didn't and Starfleet. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, now Cork. Uh, makes his entrance so armin we get to see armin for the very first oh not the, not the, not first, the very time. first time the second time we see armin and he walks in to say that since they're departing the station tomorrow he will gladly take custody of his nephew and discipline him in the ferengi ways of discipline and cisco says no 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 i'm sorry cork uh odo take nog to the brig and he basically wants to use Nog as leverage in dealing with Quark. So who's the real Ferengi in this scene? Avery <laughs> is already manipulating some. Oh yes, yeah. Well for said. his own profit. He is. He's he's <laughs> so out who is the true Ferengi. The Ferengi. Yeah, he is the Ferengi in this scene. As uh, do you think here. Quark knew but... he was being Ferengi in that moment? <laughs> yeah. Uh. I don't think so, but but he could have. He could have. He doesn't always tell me everything. Robbie, (laughs) you just made it a verb. Did you know that he's been Ferengi? You were Ferengi. You were Ferengi. Okay. I want to just say I really love how they wrote this into Cisco's character. That this really demonstrates to us how intelligent he is, how forethinking he is. I mean, he's thinking the long game. He's not thinking the short game. Like, and this is him and Kira together. Mm -hmm. She is the short game. He is the long game in this. Right. Oh, that's Correct. great. Excellent. Great observation. Excellent. Yeah, it's true. And Very if I true. may add something as well, mm-hmm. uh, tangential to this is we've already seen the the opening uh, the opening shots of of how important family is to Cisco. Again, we get family. Again, we get Quark and Nog and and the mention of the brother who hasn't been mentioned yet. The name Rom hasn't been said yet, but right. but mm-hmm. we we know that there's a brother now involved, and that's and right. and and. O'Brien talks about his family as well. This is going to be a show about family. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which yeah. again is not something we've seen a lot of in in either the original series or in TNG. The yeah. family is really important. Um uh, again, diverging from the from the regular blueprint of of uh, Star Trek. Right. Yeah, and we're living yeah. on a space station, so that's what's real. People are living there. They're living lives yeah. that we live on a planet. 
they're yeah. living in a space station. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've always said we weren't about boldly going anywhere. We were about boldly living together. Which I love that. Enough. Boldly oh, living together. Nice. Yes. Wow. I love that. I as, boldly love you, Armin. I, <laughs> and that's very bold of you to say so. <laughs> as long as none of us try to boldly Ferengi anyone else. Well, that's, uh, <laughs> we don't want to do that. Okay. Leave that to me. <laughs> so as uh, Cisco and Kira walk and talk, O'Brien hails Cisco, telling him that Picard wants to have a chat. And that look on Cisco's face is like, uh oh, it's about to hit the fan. Oh, yeah, you can tell. <laughs> right. You can tell he's like, he does Great. not yeah. want to see Picard. No, because all he can think about is bored Picard. He doesn't think about Picard as Picard. Yeah. So oh. Cisco walks into, yes. Harry? He thinks that Picard killed his wife. Yes, yes of course. Yeah. Absolutely. No, it's, 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 uh, Picard is a killer, basically, to him. Um, Cisco walks into the conference room. Is that what you would call that area? I guess yeah. it's a media. Yeah, it looks like a meeting room, the lounge. Yeah. He informs Picard that they've already met. At Wolf, and I love how he delivers it at Wolf three, five, nine. Like he separates all the numbers. Um, Picard tells Cisco that it's his job to make the Bajorans ready for entrance into the Federation. Cisco says that he will do his job to the best of his ability until a replacement is found. So he's made it known that he doesn't want to be there at all. And he just lays, you know, and honestly, Picard can't really say anything because he knows. He knows the damage and destruction and death that he caused. So he's just well, kind that's, of like. That's Ugh. my question. He knows he caused general damage and distress, but does he? It, it seems like when Cisco says, I was uh, on the Saratoga at Wolf 359. Yes. <laughs> in that moment, Picard goes, oh, you were in that battle. But does Picard know that his wife died? I don't no, think he does. He doesn't. I don't think he does. He does. I don't think he does. Yeah. So no. Cisco's grudge is personal, whereas Picard probably just thinks, yeah. Oh, this is kind of a general. It's you know, it's not as specific yeah. to Picard as and it I, is. To- and I'm glad that that was left unsaid. I don't think he needed to say, "And you killed my wife." Like that's just that's not a good part to that. That would have been good dialogue. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> show's done. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm surprised that they didn't unpack that a little bit, though. It's yeah, like, you think that well, we knew, the audience already knew that. Yes. So, yeah. it, you know, it's what you've already oh. just said, both all of you, that that uh, it doesn't need to be said. We know it. The audience knows it. Yeah. And yeah. And, and the actor is capable of showing you that. Correct. Yeah. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. it doesn't need to be said. No, you don't mm. need any lines of exposition at this point. So it's fine. Um, we are now in Odo's office is what it looks like. Right. Cisco. Cisco wants Cork to stay. Cork has no faith in this Bajoran provisional government. And he's basically trying to um uh, Cisco is basically trying to keep people from leaving and he needs Cork to set an example for others to stay Cisco wants Cork to be the community leader and that laugh was beautiful oh. coming out of you it was just like oh it was so delicious that laugh that you did and to the point where I I want to make a t-shirt that has Armin's uh, character Quark on there and community leader. I feel like that'd be super, super funny shirt and awesome. Um, and he's basically using Nog as leverage. If Quark stays, Nog gets released. Do you do you think Quark realized the Ferenging that was going on in this scene? Is that where it became? I do. Yeah. Okay. I do. Um, yes, I do. I think I think the look uh, is indicative uh, of that. I think yeah. I, I certainly. Th- me and the character both thought that uh, I was being manipulated here. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely thought that. And and but what it does, it also made me think uh, I have new respect for this guy from Starfleet. Uh, he's mm. operating on my terms. Yeah. Um, 
And uh, uh, it's more than just an empty uniform. There's actually a, a, a mind in there that mm -hmm. you need to reckon with. Mm -hmm. Did you notice, I, I noticed in this scene as I watched it, that the sound was very echoey. And then I thought, oh, our sets always had carpet because they didn't want the sound to, you know, we had very soft surfaces everywhere. There was carpet in every room. Um, but this scene had a lot of echoes in it. I wonder if that was something. Did you have carpet on your sets anywhere? I or? think, I don't remember yes. Odo's very room. Very thin, should... very thin carpet. Yeah. But you were also in the jail. Jail. We were in, a, we were set, in Odo's right? office. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Odo's office. It was just Which very way? echoey. It felt like something that would happen on a pilot when you're in a new set that next time you go in that set, let's make sure it's not so echo echoey. Put some blankets yeah. or... Yeah, so understand it was all wood, uh, mm. and there was one of those portal doors uh, into Odo's right office. Right. So yeah. uh, everything was probably bouncing off the wood. Okay. Um, yeah. It'll be interesting for us to pay attention the next time we're in his office if we notice. See the how the sound is. Yeah. To me, that that scene it surprised me. Uh, on Voyager, they would make us loop everything that had sound that wasn't perfect we would have to loop walk and talks the entire walk and talk if they could hear any noise or you know um so i was surprised in that one that it was as echoey as it was and they left it in i didn't know if that was a choice to say oh the place is kind of a disaster and so that's mm -hmm. that echoey sound in some ways sort of supported that idea that this that the station was was a bit of a mess right now you know i don't know just a little detail. It's just funny that we had all that carpet in uh, in our ship because if you talk about navy vessels or, or submarines, oh, there's no navy no vessel sense. that has carpet in their no. hallways. It's just that's very funny. There was no carpet. There was no carpet carpet in Quark's bar. There okay. was carpet on the promenade. Okay. I don't yeah. think the I don't. Terry, help me out here. I don't think all of the floors were covered in carpet on the in the promenade, but mm. certainly the central area was. What about the um, upper walkway? The upper walkway in the promenade. Carpet. Yeah, upper carpet. Walkway. Carpet. Okay. Carpet. Oh. Yeah. But there was this. I think it was in Quark's. Uh, it looked like Legos, kind of like oh. they were the the little bump ups from the Legos. It was a black with little circles. Oh, like everywhere. a oh, like a. Like a like a like rubber a, flooring or something yeah. with yeah. some type of uh pattern on there that to not slip right and that's what i surface. remember okay yeah mm. but otherwise i think we had and, and speaking of, of flooring if i may um i remember herman zimmerman who, who designed the set yeah was very cognizant that in tng everything had the, the floor sort of sloped they, they weren't stairs there was there weren't levels Oh. So that it made it very difficult for Marvin and the and the camera crew to set up their cameras on slopes. So Herman purposely put a lot of different steps, different levels, um, so that there would be places to put the camera, so that you get different attitudes uh, as you look at the actors. Interesting. Oh, it was a very mm. um, yeah complex set, much more complex than than our set was yeah. or or their tng set for and, sure and was, unlike oh, yeah. tng yeah. and i don't know about voyager but uh unlike tng um when you walked onto the promenade uh it was the promenade it wasn't divided up into little 
pods. It, it was one huge giant. Yeah, I remember that set. set. Yeah, it was giant. It, like in a its mall. entirety, the entire yeah, set was like yeah. there. Yeah, it was it all did. there. So yeah. I, I remember my first entrance onto that soundstage, soundstage seven, and my God, it was all there. It yeah. was all yeah. there. It was a different wow. world altogether. Yeah. And, and as Terry said, it had cost. God knows how much money to create this. Yeah. 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 My, uh, it was sturdy. You could have jumped up and down on those railings because they were metal. They were, wow. oh my. And the ops was the same thing. It was just like, like an opera stage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my girlfriend at the time, her father was a massive Trek fan. And so he flew out to visit. So I gave him the set tour of Voyager. And he's also a DS9 fan too. So I said, yeah, let's walk over DS9. And that was my first time really looking at all the different nooks and crannies of your set and we came in on the promenade i was just going whoa i mean it's 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 really impressive it really is and yeah he was he was like a oh he was like a little kid in a, in a candy shop he was so happy to see all of that so very impressive set so cisco well, now joins- speaking of the promenade yes we go to the promenade yes There's we go to the promenade <laughs> yes and she's she's here uh, is there in the promenade and cisco gets his hands dirty and helping clear debris and she believes that civil war is going to break out amongst the Bajorans yeah. once this uh, um, this provisional government falls, and that the only way to stop this is their spiritual leader, Opaka, a.k.a. the Kai. That is the only person who can stop this. But she lives in seclusion and rarely sees anyone. Their conversation is interrupted by the same Bajoran elder from earlier. Being even more creepy, he just kind of pops his head in and he says to Cisco, it is time. And Cisco follows him out. With Major Kira going, what just happened? And they leave. Well, I like the fact that she brings up this Opaka and the Kai, and she's mm-hmm. starting to kind of crack that door open of spirituality of of the Bajorans, and that's mm-hmm. when the monk shows up mm-hmm. again. Yep. Which I thought I thought it was uh, I thought it was great. And now they're like- they're less nefarious. Now, now yes. they don't. Yeah. Now they seem a little bit more gentle, yes. a little bit more concerned. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He didn't seem as creepy to me the second no. time. Okay. No. Just the first time. He scared me the yeah. first time. I don't blame Cisco for not wanting to go with him the first time. No, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, he clearly travels down to the planet's surface because we do have an exterior shot of Bajor and it looks beautiful shot. Nice. It Too, looks really beautiful. nice. Mm-hmm. Too beautiful. Too beautiful. Too beautiful. Yes. Yes. You yes. want it to the... be in more in ru- more ruins then? Because exactly. you do make out yes. there are some walls that have been knocked down and whatnots, but it still looks very nice, regardless. Yes. Okay. It, it it looks very, very nice. I thought okay. this is a world that's been, you know, decimated uh, manipulated yeah. and manhandled yeah. by the Cardassians. It should not look that pretty. It no, should look like a promenade, right? Where everything was just well, a mess. Yeah. They just said that they stripped it of all ways, all means for the Bajorans right. to take care of themselves. Right. So yes. how that looked like uh, ancient Roman ruins that have been overgrown for years, not a brand new. Yeah, it's funny, Armin, that you, you right. I hadn't thought about that, Armin. I think you're right. It should have been destroyed. But the thing, the thing that I did get from the shot that's in there is that sort of uh, the comfort of spirituality. It felt like a spiritual place. It felt mm-hmm. a little bit like, yeah, the 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 culture of religion and spirituality to me was captured in that image, which was a good, a helpful transition to going into the monastery next. Mm-hmm. That that was the the upside of it. But I agree with you. It should have been, yeah. Well, the monastery could have looked like they've pulled it together. Yeah. 
and and reveal an open safe place for people we have in that in that big exterior shot you do see the temple on the on the top of the mountain there and that's clearly where cisco goes he grows that is clearly where cisco goes and he is greeted by opaka Mm -hmm. who apologizes for the rubble around them and you know it's i wish that there was some type of it's so weird because she just comes up and the starts ear. touching his face. Yeah. And it's just and his ear. And it and the I ear. felt like he's kind of stops her, but there should have been some other dialogue like, hey, I'm trying something on you. But it, it just it's just it's a weird exchange. Um, but she asked the ear if stuff Cisco, made me uncomfortable. She asked the if ear. Cisco has ever explored his pa, aka his life force. And I wrote down she performs some type of Bajoran mind meld on him and discovers that the one who is destined to be the emissary does not want to be there in the first place. So that's curious to her that he has no will at all to stay mm-hmm. here or be here. And she says, come with me. And she hits her little remote control and the water disappears. So cool. And they walk down this thing. It was very James Bondish to me. I thought, yeah, oh, that I was love cool. this. Yeah. yeah. And they walk down into the secret shaft and uh, they enter to the area where they hold the, the, Tear of the Prophet. Who was the t- actress? Who was the Camille actress? That- I can't pronounce Camille's last name, but Camille Saviola. Saviola. I- yes, Saviola. Okay. I did a workshop of a musical with her in 1983 or so. I Yeah. And it was a brief, like, you know, four days in a rehearsal studio kind of thing. Yeah. But uh, lovely I lady. remember. A lovely, lovely lady a, a, yeah. a, a, and a very sweet and, and very kind and uh, great to be around, and I'm sorry we didn't see more of her. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, she, she has a couple more person. episodes, but 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 then they they went a different way. But she Rob, great, Robbie, she's, she's a great singer, by the way. I just uh, my she? memory of doing a musical with her, she blew us away. She she's had got like some the, pipes on her. The big, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. she was great. Uh, what I what I noticed, Robbie, and you're you're going to remember this. We had an episode where we had some aliens come in, and one of them was had a British accent, and the other one had a very distinct New York accent, but even more distinct than Opaka, the actress playing Opaka. Uh, we had a guy that was he was talking like this, you know, like a really heavy, <laughs> heavy New York accent, and you can hear you can hear in Camille's voice at times when she says a little New yeah, York. You know, instead of saying orb, she's like orb, the orb, you know, so that that's there. And so I, it just made me tickle inside a little bit because it yeah. reminded me of the episode in Voyager with the accent there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, aliens also have neighborhoods, <laughs> you know, they got she's, neighborhoods. She's from the Lower East Side yeah, of Bajor. She's... That's where she's from. OK, <laughs> I get it. I get it. Well, as they're in the secret cavern, cavern, you know, he's talking about how he doesn't have the power to help out with it. And she says, look, I cannot give you what you deny yourself. You have to look for solutions within yourself. Mm-hmm. So very cryptic and very, you know, what is this? She shows him the tear, the tear mm-hmm. of the prophet. It opens up. And the you're going to say something, Rob? Yeah, the orb. The, the orb. orb. The orb. orb. The orb. The orb is inside. I have the... a question, though. Yeah. So... You, you they're in the caves here now for us we had on stage 16 a bunch of caves is that where you guys also shot on the caves and it, it might have been there it might have been on uh planet hell uh which i believe was 16 yeah uh yeah i think tng I think called you, it planet hell yeah yeah you guys it shared wasn't... that uh off set you know yeah. 16 with yeah. us right yeah. so but we sometimes... also had 18. You had 18 yeah, as well? It might have been on 18. And, and you know, okay. there were a lot of caves in 18, so it could have been 18. Yeah, yeah 18, 18 was just for people who don't know. It was our normal planet hell. And there, in TNG, when, when we were 
filming at the same time as TNG. TNG had 16 and we had stage 18. 18. So it was okay. four, 17 and 18. All the four, all three stages were next to each other. No, not 17, no. seven. Terry. Seven? Seven. Really? Seven. Okay. So when right we looked on. at you guys across the way, you were on yes. four and seven. And when you walked out of your soundstage, you saw us on eight and nine, correct? Right. And then right. you also used 16 like we did for random planet surfaces. Right. Yes? But we, we used, but we Terry's right, 18. that we always, yeah, we used There's the, another one, 18. Yes. I didn't know four, this. Four, seven, and 18. We had our own planet hell because remember, okay. before you guys were there yeah we had a couple TNG. of years while tng was shooting at the same time we were yes. so when they were using chan uh, stage their 16, planet hell yeah we were on stage 18 so when oh. you came you inherited 16 yeah and we were still on 18 did you guys never use 16 at all then you no, always we had did it. we used it a cave Maybe. in the beginning in the beginning okay. but terry's right then we just went to 18 caves and everything they were all built into 18 okay or, for all i know they could have been moved from one sound stage right. But I'm guessing I, is 18. I worked on them a lot. Was 18 <laughs> close to 16 then? Is 18 in, yes. in the same neighborhood? Yes, it's right across the street. It's right across the street. Oh, I wish I never went to 18 to look at your planet health God, sets, that would have been awesome. I wish I did. I you know what? This is brand new. I didn't know this. Maybe we could do an episode someday mm. where yes. the four of us are back in LA mm. and we do a tour of uh, the, at least the soundstage sort of Take a walk on. Oh, Paramount that'd be interesting. I haven't been to the Paramount lot in a yeah. long yeah, time. Yeah, just so you can kind of see what it is, and then we could go eat in the commissary. Oh, wow! Uh, and at least in my experience, as close as all the shows were, and really there was just a tiny little street that divided us. And by street, mm. I mean really a lane. It yeah, wasn't. Um, we, I rarely got a chance to go across the street and talk yeah. to you guys or talk to the TNG people. Mm -hmm. um, uh, 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 I rarely did that. And, and I don't know about you, Terry, but I don't think there was a lot of cross-pollination. We knew each other, but, but we didn't go to visit very often. At least I didn't. No, 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 I didn't either. I don't remember. We were too busy. We were yeah. too busy working. Yeah, and our set was so serious. <laughs> Yeah. But something did happen because there was some cross visitation because there was a memo sent out saying Voyager actors stay with your own craft service and your own set. There was. Do you guys remember this? Really? No, DS, but I bet DS it was because actors. of you. It was probably you. Probably the you, whole yeah. thing was just your note, Gary. It was probably me and Aaron Eisenberg. I think we both crossed into each oh! other's areas is what happened. Yeah. I'm going to. I don't I'll, remember. I'll there was a note that said yes, stay on your own side. <laughs> okay. How it says so much. Don't because eat our food. Don't, don't eat, eat our, our food. <laughs> this because food is only for DS9 actors. Stay away. I'm like, okay. I think that maybe you should note that none of us got that note. So maybe, <laughs> maybe you're the only one who note. got it. <laughs> you guys, you guys are funny and funny. Okay. Um, all right. So <laughs> as he opens up this this box that's holding the orb, the tear of the prophet, now he's transported into this beach scene, which is the very first time that he actually meets his wife so he's back into the past and again we get more cisco isms coming out of Jazz cisco dialogue. all the sound effects oh my god the hot yes. sand 
Yeah. Like all kinds of things that you would never hear from Picard or Janeway, you hear from Cisco, which to me, I, it's refreshing to me. It's like, wow, he's kind of outside the box in a way in terms of his line delivery and his sound effects that come out of him. So I, I liked it personally. Um, but he is, uh, you know, he's trying to make sense of what's going on. But a, a part of him, you just see the joy that he is experiencing and yeah, seeing his wife again alive, you know, it's, so it's kind of a nice moment as well to see him on the beach there. It's those are always complicated scenes. I think when you've got sort of a fantasy of something that you've lost, I think for actors and when I've directed things like that, because there's a part of it, that's also very sad. Like if I mm -hmm. were to go see my mother passed away when I was 18 years old, if I were to suddenly in an instant be thrown into a, a moment with my mother I would, yes, feel joy. It would be a complicated reunion. I would feel joy. I would feel the grief come back. I would feel all of those things. This was a complicated one to me because I was like, I, I appreciate the joy on one hand, but it's a compl It's filled with so much more stuff. So, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a tricky scene. I thought for him to play. Yeah, I think at the very beginning, though, the when he first sits there. You yeah. see him have, uh, where am I? Uh, how do I handle this? Yeah. You see, it has to be quick, unfortunately, but you do yeah. see that I'm sure he or he and David Carson had a conversation about it. And I think that's what I like about his acting in this scene is you're yeah. seeing those some, as much as he can give you a complicated yeah. uh, storytelling around the unexplainable or the un yeah. how do you describe how you would be feeling i think yeah. he does a really good job in that moment oh i do too i do too but mm -hmm. it's, it's a challenging yeah. scene watching I, him do it i was thinking wow the conversations they must have had the choices they had to make and and the idea that he can sort of revisit and relive this incredible moment in his life mm. is is powerful too so yeah it was it was a it was a great scene yeah when he's pulled back from the speech scene, the beach scene back into the present, Opaka explains that nine orbs, nine orbs have appeared in the skies in the past 10,000 years, and the Cardassians took all of the other ones. So this is the last one remaining. And Opaka says to Cisco, you have to find the celestial temple before they do, because they're probably going to destroy it. And this is going to shake the Bajoran Foundation to its very core if the Celestial Temple is destroyed. And we learn that this is the path. This is the path or the destiny that Cisco is going to have to take and finding this Celestial Temple. Any other thoughts on the orbs or any of that? Because orbs are pretty important for your series. I, I'm getting the feeling. Uh, they are and they aren't. They do yeah. occur here. They do occur in a couple of other episodes. They don't show up as much. I think the idea of the orbs was an idea that they had at the beginning uh -huh. that uh, they they fell out of love they with backed off from a yeah bit. yeah uh as the show went in different areas hmm. religion was always a part of the show but i the orbs i don't think had as much oh, okay to do I got, a, I got a sense that these orbs are going to be a key to the whole show in some way but maybe yeah maybe that was their intention but then they you know course corrected a bit yeah i think okay. there are a lot of episodes that are coming up that I know for a fact that I didn't really pay that close attention to because it didn't have to do with my storyline. Mm. Um, and when you're trying to live a life during a series, it's no, no, it's, it's no hard. small feat, 
Um, but I think we might be surprised at some uh, episodes that might be eye-opening to what this orb experience is going to be for our, our mm. players. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Good. Okay, so the next scene, we're in Jake's room. Jake is sleeping on the floor, and he's got a baseball glove with him, which is our first, I think, the first appearance of baseball as an idea in this episode. Mm-hmm. And uh, Cisco is kind of watching him. You know, he tells Jake that he's, it makes him think about his mom and uh, how much he looks like his mom when Kira calls and says uh, that there's something on the promenade you might want to see. And so he heads off. So there's a nice moment after... I love this scene with just this not much dialogue, but a nice father-son moment after family, 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 Mm -hmm. yeah, spiritual journey and going to the beach and all of that with the orbs that he comes back to his son. That's the first place he goes. We go to the promenade next, though, and Quark's bar is packed with people. It's packed with people. We see some Dabo girls. The pit boss is having people step up. It's it's just uh, the place is is packed. Quark's doing his job. Do you remember shooting this scene? Was this the first scene that you shot with a place packed like that? I don't remember. Oh, interesting. I don't remember. Hmm. This is the first time we see Rom. Yes, it's the first time we, we see We Rom. don't yeah. call him out, but we see him. Rom, yeah. And Rom wasn't Rom in the script. It was just Quark's brother. He wasn't. Quark's Get brother out. at this point. Yeah. <gasps> cool. You know, That's we crazy. had we had that episode, Robbie, if you recall, on Voyager with the Ferengis, and the Ferengis were the masters of the entire Ferengi. planet. Not Ferengis, Ferengi. Oh, that's Ferengi plural is as well? plural? Oh, yes. my goodness. Okay. Well, thank you. We had that episode with the Ferengi where they were the masters of the planet. Remember that, Robbie? <laughs> yes. And yes. They, had, they had Dabo girls kind of around there, too. And yep. I did not know that the under cleavage was started in DS9. It not on I thought, wow, look, they've got under cleavage, but that is a theme already here where you showed not the top part, but the almost the bottom of the I of think the, the original series had a costume like with that. Under cleavage? That's where yes. Uh, okay. Yes. All right. I remember talking to Bob Blackman about it because I remember that being a thing. And he okay. said, yeah, I took that from the original series. There right. was some costume back in the 60s. Or, and and Bob did your wardrobe as well, too. So. As the employer of the Dabo girls, Quark being the employer, <laughs> uh, we had a very hard time keeping the same Dabo girls uh, to come back because mm. once they were hired, they weren't told about the costume. They were okay. usually very <laughs> voluptuous ladies. And uh, when they got to the set and saw what they had to wear, they wore it because they needed to get the day's salary. Yeah. They rarely ever came back. Wow. Especially in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. It seems like they would have been paid, the the extras that were Dabo girls would have been paid a little more for wearing those costumes and being a Dabo girl as opposed to just being a general crowd person. Like an extra bump. Probably. But it yeah. doesn't mean that you feel comfortable as a That's woman true. doing that. And mm-hmm. it's not fair. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's not yeah. fair that they weren't told them know. before. Yeah, yeah, they had no yes. clue. They came and in no and they, this is what you're wearing. And they were like, great, yeah. I'm here. What am I going to do? Right? Okay. Yeah. Well, Quark is uh, behind the bar. The place is jumping and Cisco shows up. So Quark basically says he doesn't trust Cisco. And Cisco asks about the local Synthale. Is it Synthale? Is mm-hmm. that what you call mm-hmm. it? And Quark says, oh, you won't like it. He basically tells him he doesn't trust him in this scene. That was my takeaway from this scene. Mm-hmm. This is where I think Quark is put together. You were Ferengiing me. 
And absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he didn't want to stay. He he wanted to leave. Yeah. Uh, he's forced to stay in order to uh, you know get his nephew's freedom. But it's not something he really wants to do. He has been indeed Ferengi'd. Uh, also, we, we, we mentioned the introduction of Rom. There's another character who's also introduced uh, in the Quark scenes um, that we never hear from, but he's always there, and that's Morn. Morn. Uh, Morn is there, and Morn is a unique figure on our show. Um, he, he's a background person, and that's what we call extras nowadays. Yeah. Uh, he's a background person who has his own action figure doll, but never had a line. Um, and wow. uh, was was part of the bar scene as long as I was. And, and was it the never, same person playing? Never that had a character? line. The same whole person. Yeah. never same had a person. line. They attempted once or twice to give Mark Shepard, who played Morn, uh, the opportunity to say something. Mm-hmm. But um, and they and he, we we did shoot his Mark? lines. Mark never, Shepard. Mark Shepard, the 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 actor not from Mark Allen Shepard, not Mark Allen, who is the actor. But Mark oh. Shepard, uh, uh, I think I have that. I think the Allen is for, for the actor. Okay. Or Mark Allen, uh, Morn, I can't remember. One of them has an Allen in the middle. All right. Um, and um, they just edited it out. They never used mm. it. That's crazy. Which was really hard for him. I you're gonna it see was. it. Yeah. You're going to see a surprise somewhere down the line with Dax and him, too. Okay. Really? Hmm. Well, speaking of Dax, so we have a space shot. We have a station log that the Enterprise has been ordered to the Lapolis system. And um, they're scheduled to depart at zero uh, five hundred hours after offloading three runabout class vessels. And meanwhile, our medical and science officers are arriving. And I'm looking forward to a reunion with a very old friend, we hear Cisco say. <laughs> a very old friend turns out to be Dax and Bashir turns coming out, out of very Adela. young Terry Farrow. That's not, coming an old <laughs> That's not old at all. With, if I'm not mistaken, with a lot of blush, um, <laughs> there was a lot of blush on your cheeks in that. Was show. there? Yes. <laughs> I didn't was that the that. first scene that you shot? Like in oh, filming order? I do not remember. I feel like ops was the first place I was actually at, but uh, I could be wrong. Mm. I think I was, I was traumatized in ops first. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah, This is a scene where Dax and Bashir come off and Bashir is smitten in this scene with Dax. And I love, I love his, when he says, uh, maybe we can go for dinner or, 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 oh, or a drink. stuttering. Oh he's my just, gosh. He's tripping over himself. He's just, oh. And so I'm just funny. letting him. I'm yeah, not you're, yeah. him you're just letting all. him. <laughs> yeah, very funny. Very funny. It was a, it was a great introduction for him and for Wasn't you. Wasn't it? Oh, very but sweet. It was such a great scene and, and uh, moment. And then there's a walk and talk with Cisco and Dax. And and this is where Cisco, we realize this old friend, because uh, uh, Cisco says, well, he's a little young for you. And Dax says, he, he's 27, I'm 28. And Cisco says, mm, 328, maybe. <laughs> Did you tell him about the slug inside of you? So all of this information is coming out very quickly. We realize that uh, Dax is a trill and um, that she is, you know, 300. Dax, How old Dax is more you? than a trill. Dax is a thrill. Yes, <laughs> it's a thrill. For, for uh, yes. Oh, for Bashir, and I know, it couldn't was. have been my first scene. I know there's a makeup reason why that would not have happened. 
Okay. Because mm. mm. I used mm. to have a forehead. I had what? a forehead in the original. Yes, the original makeup. They tried to give me like the a- trill makeup from the next generation. The trill was first seen, and it was an episode with uh, uh, Gates McFadden starring in it. And it was her love interest. I'm sorry, I don't remember the title of that. Mm-hmm. But I had um, he had quite a prominent forehead. And wow. so they tried to do the same thing on me and Carrie McCluggage called and whatever. I don't know his no forehead. exact no words. No rubber on your head. Yes. No rubber on my head. So it was bumpy. Which and- actually brings up to me too, that at the beginning of this episode, which I did not mention, you see that Nana has her nose, but she also had a piece of, pla- yes. of uh, here. And it is not what ends up being in the show either. Oh. It ends up just being her nose. She doesn't have that piece anymore. Wow. Which That's cleans right. up the look a lot. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. forgot about that piece. And mm-hmm. I went down a rabbit hole again before we recorded and saw that Michelle Forbes had played uh, Bajoran on TNG and and that they had some talks with her about maybe coming on to DS9 or something. Mm-hmm. When I saw the pictures, yeah, there was that forehead piece. It was a different makeup in that mm-hmm. Bajoran Look. And they wanted Framka Jansen to play Dax mm. and Michael Michael Westmore took the spots from the character that Framka played mm-hmm. on the next gen to put on me. They were, I guess, think they were a little different, but that's where the inspiration came from. Oh, Wait, wow. Famka was a yeah. tr- was a trill on TNG. Is that what you're no, saying? No, she was a different character, She's a different alien, and she had a different some spots. alien. Okay, but okay. she had spots, and they thought those were sexy, so that, that's how they. But that also added another week to like we shot for a day. They saw the dailies, and that said, oh, you no, had to get rid of it. For, and then we had to do more makeup tests with me, which made which stalled me another week. Mm. So everything given and crushed, crunched, and crunched to that me shooting this episode of yeah. one and two in like a matter of a week. Wow. All, all of my stuff. Did Very. your pilot episode get extended? Like uh, Armin, yes. do you remember? Yes. yes. Yeah. It, it was longer than eight days, eight shooting days. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, 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 I'm, I, I'm probably lying to you here, but uh, my mind tells me it was like two, three weeks. Yeah. Our, ours was 31 days. We had 31 days. No, it was you guys must have had at least 20 something. Yeah, it was July and August. I think it was. I don't think you may be right, but I don't remember it that way. Yeah, I feel like on our show, because we had the captain switch, there was a there was a shutdown at one point. We were trying to fill the days with scenes. We had to reshoot some things. I remember Um, that. Oh, yeah. So I would imagine on your show with these makeup decisions and things like that, the same thing probably happened. Let's reshoot. They added days. It just sort of mm. sort of drifts into, you know, longer than they anticipated. I would I would guess. And and per- perhaps the reason Terry remembers it longer than I do is they probably shot all my stuff and didn't have to reshoot it. And so I had just had the days off. You know, oh, it didn't occur to me that, that they Oh, cuz we didn't have any scenes together. No. Not yet. No. Right on. Dax and Cisco take a walk. And I had a question. Did Cisco request Dax coming on this because of their past history? It's nebulous. It's, you know, we don't, and we can't tell from the, from his reaction, whether this was somebody he expected or whether this is a surprise. He might've requested, uh, he he requested, you know, a a Bajoran first, 
but uh, yeah. Um, yeah, it was hard for me to tell. I didn't know if hard, this was yeah. a surprise or if she had been assigned, if Dax had been assigned by someone else and it was just coincidence that they knew each other. It was hard to know whether this was. Well, there you know, is a scene where we're in the science office mm-hmm. that I don't think we really see a whole lot of after, but I think there's a scene in the science office that comes up after this where I thank him for being okay with it. Oh, so so maybe it is, it was, maybe it was really the Bajoran. And then mm-hmm. I was glad that he picked me to come in. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because he hasn't embraced this job yet. He's still, you know, thinks he's, I, I, I and think my prior point. host wasn't a science officer. That's Judzia. Judzia is mm-hmm. a science officer, but Curzon was not a science officer. All right. Well, they take their walk and talk and, uh, you know, Dax assures him, I'm the same old Dax, more or less, even though I've got a different body now. So next we go to the infirmary where Bashir and Kira are talking about security problems. And Bashir is thrilled to be here because it's frontier medicine. This is exactly what he was looking for. I love his stuttering in this scene again. Does he do this in the whole series? No, no, no. This That disappears pretty quickly. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. that's a shame. <laughs> I, that's a shame. I was like, this is a great brand. Like, what a great bit that he that he stutters and he's kind of nervous and fumbly. And is it called it. an infirmary because you're on a space station and not a ship? And because uh, we say sick bay, so do you guys say infirm? Was it called infirmary for you guys? Is that what you? you know, guys we never say? called it sick. Never bay. called it sick bay. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's a delineation. Infirmary. Yeah. On a ship, it's a sick bay, and on a station or on the land, it's infirmary. I'm yes. guessing. Okay. I love the end of this scene when when uh, Kira leaves and Bashir looks back at her and the face he makes. He's, he's just funny. He's like, I was like, yeah. I had no idea that Sid was the comic relief of this show. But <laughs> yeah, but in this I, so far, he was very funny to me. Yeah, he's and, very and I, funny in it. I find that scene wonderful because I know the future relationship of the two actors. Right. Yes. And, and I thought about as, that really, too. In this scene, all there now. is no chemistry whatsoever, really. None. And I'm thinking, uh, huh. what, you know, what time will make a difference? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That is funny. Next, we go to the lab. We're in the lab. Cisco and Dax are in there. They're looking. Uh, they're using the, their computers to try to pull data out of these orbs or, you know, analyze these orbs. And Cisco feels like the the Bajoran monks have been studying this for 10,000 years, but maybe our technology can give us some new information. And uh, Dax decides to create a database. So we see that, you know, that they're starting to, you know, crack the code of this thing. They're going to, Dax is going to get some information from it. And then it, she's talking to the computer and then Dax decides to turn off the force field. And I thought, why would you turn off the force field on an orb? It could be radioactive. Like, you don't know. I don't know. For me, I was like, no, don't do it. But she Oh does. my gosh, you're so funny. You don't assume that he would have told me before he left the room or at some I, point I don't know. about Maybe. his experience? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I guess so. But I don't know. I would just be like, if I had some alien thing that we didn't know what it was, I was like, no, but she turns it off. And the force field goes off. So she can have her... That star, that Starfleet all over. They just do whatever they want to do. <laughs> they just boldly go. They, they just boldly, boldly go. go. I'm a maverick. I am a science maverick is what you I are. am. <laughs> you and Bashir with his frontier medical stuff. He's into that too. 
But uh, yeah, turn off the force field and suddenly there's a, a flash kind of like Cisco had and she goes into a memory, uh, hallucination kind of memory of being in the operating room and um, she's getting this transfer, I guess, of the of the slug. Of the symbiont. The symbiont. Thank Dax. you. Of Dax. She's getting to Dax. That is Dax. That yeah. is Dax. Yes, that yeah. is Dax, the did symbiont. You, did you notice that they didn't spell that right in the in the t- uh, script that we're looking at, Robbie? They said symbiot. symbiot. That's not right. S-Y-M-B-I-O-T. The symbiot. It's a symbiont, right? Isn't it S-Y-M-B-I-A-N-T maybe? Is it, or Armin is right. our resident etymologist. Yeah. <laughs> we'll refer and to I, Armin. And Garrett this. is, I believe, absolutely right. It's symbiont. Yeah, okay. symbiont. But this I, is a happy memory that she's having. Yeah. It's a really happy memory, which I thought was great. She's well, the opposite uh, of giving birth. She's yeah. it's the opposite of giving birth. Yeah. And then he's he's gone. Then yeah. my then mentor's he, gone. Yeah. Then right. He dies. So then you see yeah. that moment where I'm like a little sad, like yeah. it's a little bittersweet for me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A very nice moment, Terry. A very very nice. You. I agree. I, I thought you. it was. I'm glad you turn off the force field. It was kind of fun to shoot too because it was a weird off like a, a one of sort of cheating sets where they have like don't even have all the walls. Two walls or something. No, yeah. I, I love when the symbiont is inserted into you. It looks like you have like a kangaroo pouch is what it, it is. Does. is how they put it. Like there's no blood. There's nothing. It's just like whoop, your little envelope it, opens up. It goes in. It goes it's right like in. All, yeah. It's like, yeah. hey, I'm at home now. It's like really cool. <laughs> was that symbiont like a puppet? What was it? Uh, it the prop. Do you remember it? It's like this. Um, rubber. Yeah. Rubber creation that. um they some amazing put... artists made right, because it really yeah. it looked pretty fleshy and was there icky. animatronics in there did it move did it move did it actually have a um any movement to it because i think it was pretty still I, it was stationary. i don't right? think in that scene okay mm. but just the 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 viscosity of the rubber wasn't like hard rubber it was mm. uh i don't know how to describe it like, like rubber jello? glue like jello? yeah it had a movement to it mm. okay it was yeah, jiggly. It, it was jiggly. Yes, okay. it was a little jiggly. Armin, yeah. you were going to say something. I thought I said I, it was like Jello. Okay, like Jello. Okay. I, I have a I have a hope that sometime in this series, you know, I don't yet, that this symbiont is just like walking down the hallway. Like we just see it walking down. The, I just want to see like it a moving walk and around. Talk. Yeah, I just want it on its own. Just you know, a little slug just going down the hall. I don't know if it'll happen, hey, but I can dream. I think that's Orville. Is <laughs> what you're referring to now? <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. Uh, We go to the bridge. It's the night shift on the Enterprise bridge. And O'Brien is there kind of looking around very nostalgic about his time on the Enterprise. And this was the moment that led me to go down the the rabbit hole of O'Brien had been on 55 episodes of TNG or something. I had no idea about that. You didn't know that either, Robbie? No, I didn't. All right. And there's someone on the bridge, a lieutenant, a woman that says uh, the captain's in the ready room. You want to you want to go see him? And O'Brien's like, no, I'm good. That's yep. okay. And he's he goes to the transporter room on the Enterprise. He's he's about to leave when uh, Picard shows up. Yeah. And they have a nice, they have a nice moment. And this was the moment where I was like, oh my gosh, I must have missed something on TNG. <laughs> Why do you think O'Brien was trying to leave without saying goodbye to Picard, though? That's a little weird. I because wonder- no. O'Brien, O'Brien is the working Joe on our show and was okay. indeed the working Joe on TNG. All right. Mm-hmm. So that that's the captain. He's just the, yes, he yeah. has rank, but, but he, he wasn't, 
something I learned as well. He wasn't part of usually of the of the away team of the, the senior staff, the senior crew. He's, he's, okay. he's the guy that that gets you from one place to the next. Mm-hmm. Yes, he had he had episodes, but but he he's not part of the main team. Got it. And yeah. So as such. You, you feel well. I don't want to disturb the captain. He was like I, a I lower decker. Perfect sense. He was a lower decker. Yeah, he was yeah, a lower, lower decker. decker. Yeah, he was yeah. a lower decker. Okay, blue, wow. blue Makes collar. Makes sense. I loved this moment with them when uh, O'Brien and Picard says goodbye to O'Brien because you can feel the subtext of this pilot as well. This pilot episode, you can mm-hmm. feel Patrick Stewart saying "Good luck with your next show," mm-hmm. as much mm-hmm. as. You yeah. know, as the characters are saying goodbye, I thought as I felt good. with your show, as no. I felt uh, with your show, when, yeah. when they asked me to do the scene in Voyager, I, I thought the same thing. I felt this is me handing on the baton to the next show. Wow, and that's and that scene was with myself and Robbie. That actually. was, yeah. yeah. Oh, how amazing! Yes, yes, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, next week we go to ops next and uh, there's a Cardassian warship on a view screen. We learn Gold Ducat is approaching and uh, Cisco says, uh, tell Gold Ducat, I look forward to meeting him. And we jump into the uh, commander's office, into Cisco's office. And uh, Gold Ducat first comments how he misses his old office. So we realize he was the boss here before. Yeah. But before you jump into that, can we just say that yeah. the casting of Mark Alimo as a Cardassian is perfect. I think just mm. everything about that man's human face just fits Cardassian for me. Everything yeah. it was so spot on. I was very happy. Yeah. And and I've known Mark for a very long time, long yeah. before TS9. Before, mm-hmm. His really? personality oh, wow. fits a Cardassian. And, and, and even his <laughs> real life personality. <laughs> I love exactly. it. Exactly. They cast the right actor. Yeah. They I cast love that. the right actor. Okay. Such okay. a great bad guy. Yeah. Wow. Go, go Robbie. Who never played was... it as a bad guy, which is a tribute to no. his. No. Yes. I was going to say it as though oh. he was the hero of Deep yeah. Space Nine. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's yes. why he was so good. Yeah. 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 Well, let's think, let's think about it. Anybody who is, it, it, like, you, you talk about mafia people, they they refer to themselves as the good guys. They never say they're bad. They don't right. think that way. Yeah. yeah. All right, Robbie, continue, please. Yeah, so the Golducott misses his old office. He's very charming with Cisco, very mm-hmm. warm. And mm-hmm. I, I thought, uh, yes, his performance, he played it like he was a friend and a hero, but he does want uh, information about this orb. That's why he's here. He wants to find out, you know, what what he knows about this orb. And Cisco says, I don't know, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know anything about an orb. So mm-hmm. he's He's uh, trying to Ferengi him here a little bit. He's trying to <laughs> trying to hide his uh, treasure. Dukat basically says, "You know, we uh, we're going to stay real close if you want if you want to reconsider and uh, tell me about this orb." So a little bit of a chess game there, mm-hmm. uh, but I love that scene. I thought yeah. they were uh, they were great together. Uh, we go to the lab next, and in this scene, we find Dax has found some record about a ship that was stranded and had some strange experience with a hole opening up. She's found this information on the, uh, the database, the historical record that she's put together. And to me, this felt like Dax was discovering like a Bermuda triangle Mm. out here in space. It Mm -hmm. felt like something that was swallowing ships or there was just strange occurrences happening here. Um, But she fills Cisco in on all of this. This is where Dax wonders, is this the celestial temple maybe this bermuda triangle thing is the celestial temple that the bajorans talk about um 
Cisco heavens. says, well, what's that? The, heaven, the heavens open up. Yeah. So Cisco's intrigued by this, but he says, we got the Cardassians right back, you know, right next to us. We got to figure out a way to, to shake them if we're going to go look into this. Well, actually, this was a surprise to me because what I can't remember which character suggests it, but they moved the station away from Bajor. Yes. To the wormhole. I had totally forgotten about that. Um, so that when I was watching the episode, I went, oh, my God, I, I didn't know that. I didn't mm. know that the, it was placed right next to the wormhole. I, I knew that the wormhole was close, but I didn't know that they had moved it away from Bajor to that part of space. Yeah, I didn't know that the that the station moved the way it did. And obviously, there's a lot of tech involved in how they're going to get the engines to travel them fast enough to get there. Um, but yeah, that was... Don't worry, I figured it out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, you did. Exactly. Brains exactly. and beauty both. <laughs> She's got it all. Okay. Uh, yeah, we Where go to we? Quarks. We go to Quarks <sighs> again, and it's like a party at Quarks. The Cardassians who've showed up are partying hard, having a great time. Way too much latinum on the tables. Yeah, they're way, winning. Way too they, much latinum. They have on not the lost one game, it looks like. They've oh just, my there's, God, there's like went, a mountain oh. of latinum there. It was like, uh, yes. what the? Quark must have been very unhappy with yeah. all that latinum on the table. <laughs> yeah, but, but Kira comes in and announces that the party's over. Everybody's got to get out of here. They're closing this establishment. Quark protests for a minute, but as he leaves, he's outraged. As he leaves, there's a look between Quark and Kira that I sort of thought, oh, is They're this a planning plan? something? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And he says, give them, give them something to put their winnings in. And a, a bag is handed over, or a backpack mm -hmm. or whatever it is, and they stuff the latinum in there. Yeah. 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 So um for me, that's indicative of the history that the two characters have had before the, sh the show starts. Mm -hmm. um, and and for me, I can't remember if that was my choice, but watching the episode, that's what it looks like to me. Is It's to indicate the, the lack of uh, rapport that these two characters have had during the, their stay on the station. Because who's to say who was there the longest, whether it was Kira... Well, Kira's been assigned to it, so obviously Quark has been there longer. Mm. But uh, in the interim, while she's been there, mm -hmm. obviously things have not been good between these two characters. That look definitely suggested some kind of history there, for sure. Yeah, mm. it was nice. Um, we go to the warship, to the Cardassian warship quarter next, and these Cardassians are putting their uh, knapsack, and the knapsack that they put all their winnings into, they're putting it into a locker, and then as they shut the locker, we see that all of a sudden this knapsack kind of starts to ooze into some orange liquid or something. And it comes out of that locker and Odo appears like out of this goo. Odo, I, I wrote down, Odo is a real sneaky goo. Can he do this all the time? Can no, Odo no. Just... In fact, uh, thank you for asking that question. Okay. It was enormously expensive to do the morphs. Yeah, I would think so. Enormously expensive. So there are two in this episode. There's yeah. the one we talked about before where the weapon the thing goes, goes through, through his head. head. And there's this one. And early on uh, in the first season, they recognized we can't do that. We can't, we can't, it's mm. just too expensive. It's too expensive. So we're, we're we have an overabundance of riches here. We have two morphs in one episode. 
And, and you'll see that after a while, they were very judicious about using that, very judicious. You, you rarely ever saw much of that after a while. Did they write something to that? Like, oh, if if Odo has to morph, it takes so much energy, it's dangerous or something like, did they, yeah? Uh, no, I, I think what they simply did was ignore it. And, and when he did morph into things, I think if I remember correctly, uh, characters would just say, or he would say, I just did that. So okay. we didn't have to see it. Oh, it I see. Was, uh, it was enormously expensive to do the morphs. From what I remember, too, he would also have to go to his pail to rest. Yeah. So yeah. there's a there. Oh, there later, is an energy. Yeah. We will find out about this later. Yeah, because it seems like that would be that would be a superpower in a way that would be could be unmanageable for the budget. I I totally get it. Yeah. Because if you've got the well, ability, and that's to... the first use of the of the computer helping us tell the story, right? Yeah. So at that time, it was the cutting edge of the technology that we could use. On yeah. the show. Certainly the introduction of, of Odo and the Changelings is borrowed heavily, heavily mm -hmm. in Picard in the third season. Oh, definitely. Picard. Yeah. That's so a that's a mm -hmm. that's a nod to our show that that the mm -hmm. changelings are the villains in in that episode, in yeah. that season. Yeah, and mm -hmm. that's a and we all have uh, Terry Metalis to thank for that. So good old Terry is the one that yeah. brought that in. Mm -hmm. Yes. Next we go to uh, the Rio Grande. Is that the name of the runabout? I think so. One yeah. of Sis them. <laughs> yeah, one of them. Cisco and Dax are on this shuttle. They're getting ready to launch. I love the shot in space of this shuttle, of this of this uh, runabout. It's a cool ship. It's good looking I know my, my character was into shuttles. So um, from Voyager, he loved shuttles and ships and things like that. This one was very cool to me. I just, I thought it looked super cool the design and everything yeah so we see this cool shuttle shot we go back to ops o'brien says scanners are picking up fluctuations of the cardassians energy distribution net so odo's taking care of things on the cardassian ship uh kira says the computers are crashing shields are down odo did it uh ops to rio grande and we're in the rio grande kira says you're in business and so they they launch and uh, Kira and O'Brien talk about the transporter, the uh, that Odo's going to shut down their transporters. O'Brien doesn't seem to be able to quite make the link work, so he kicks the kicks the computer. <laughs> he's Fonzie. He's Fonzie. He's, he's like it. Fonzie. Yeah. Exactly. I'm hit the jukebox. It's going to work. Yeah. Kicks Definitely. the thing. And it works, mm. um, which I thought was very funny. That doesn't yes. happen more. Does, does, that, does that continue to happen, guys? Does no. O'Brien bang, on things, bang or... on things throughout this episode? Uh, show. You know what? Yeah. You're going to have to continue to watch we'll to find to. out. <laughs> I, I love some of the bits, though. That would be a funny bit if O'Brien's always just like banging on things to get him to fix, uh, to get him to work. I thought yeah. that was very funny. Was But uh, yeah, they shut down the, the Cardassian transport, so now they're safe. And uh, after a break, we come back. Dax and Cisco are approaching the grid parameters, and they pick up these these high proteins. When suddenly, this bright hole opens in space, and uh, the shuttle is now being sucked into this energy tunnel. This is Journey Through the Wormhole. This is the name of our podcast. It's <laughs> happening right there. They're and it falling. is the introduction to the yeah. eighth series regular on the show, which is the wormhole. Yes, oh, it is, it is, it is, it is really? Is this, 
in a sense, is, yes, in a sense. I mean, it never it, gets credit, of course, but right. but the wormhole is is absolutely essential to the show. Oh, and, yeah. and, and although it has no lines, uh, it is it is it, it is ever apparent. It is always there. It is omnipresent. I think there wow. should have been a credit saying wormhole as played by Jeffrey Combs. I, that's that's all I want to see. <laughs> probably would have been. Yeah, he yeah, plays everything. Been. He plays it all. All right. Yeah, but they're sucked into this wormhole, so we don't know if the if this is good or bad. But they're getting sucked into this very cool, <laughs> cool uh, wormhole. Back on Ops, uh, O'Brien picks up that there's a major subspace disruption. Kira does doesn't know. They don't know what's happening. Back on back on the shuttle, navigational readings are going crazy. Cisco and Dax don't really know what is going on here. And then Dax. Uh, identifies the closest star system, which is Idrin. The computer says Idrin is the is based on the analysis conducted in the 22nd century by Quadros One probe of the Gamma Quadrant. They realize that they're in a place that's 70,000 light years from Bajor. Is that the number? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Because that's what we use in Voyager. We're in the first episode. We're thrown 70,000 light years away from oh, really? Earth. The exact same number. So okay. Look at that. Interesting. Mm -hmm. That's their favorite number to throw people. They like that number. Yes. So Cisco realizes if the computer has figured out some some coordinates here, that maybe this is a way out, out of this wormhole. And also Cisco says that they may have discovered the very first stable wormhole ever known to exist. So this is not just a, a temporary wormhole. This is one that is permanent, I guess. Mm. It's it's a it's always there. So is that part of Armin? What you're saying, this wormhole, because it's stable, that it becomes this. Yes, it, it becomes the conduit between the Alpha Quadrant and the Gamma Quadrant, and and therefore it, it's like um, finding a what is it the 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 passageway, the North, Northwest Passage. Mm -hmm. it, it is a way to get from one area to another the quickest way and to promote not only interaction between various planets, but also to promote commerce, trade, and all the things that go on mm -hmm. when you have new trade markets. That's another knock on, Robert, do you remember this? Fans would be like, why are you guys trying to make it back to Earth? Why aren't you just going straight to the Gamma Quadrant at DS9 and taking the wormhole back to Earth? That, that's, you know... Yeah, why didn't we do that? Thing. If because... that's the right direction, is that the right direction? Yeah, because it goes alpha, beta, you know, gamma, you know. delta quadrant. So Voyager oh, was in delta okay. quadrant. So wow. we can get to gamma, then we can get to alpha really quick through the wormhole next to DS9. But we didn't why even didn't talk we about do that. that. We didn't because even talk about it because Captain was eager to explore new worlds. <laughs> she wanted to see, she wanted to explore She's every nook and cranny. Yeah. <laughs> really? Did you guys really only want to do two seasons? Really? Yeah. Really? <laughs> Because <laughs> we needed seven seasons. That's why, Robbie. That's why we didn't go to the gotcha. Gamma Quadrant. <laughs> okay. But we detect Great. atmosphere. Yes. Do we not, sir? Yes, yes. Yes. We detect you atmosphere. De you detect atmosphere. Yes, you do. Dax says, I'm picking up atmosphere. And Cisco says, what? Inside a wormhole? Mm -hmm. uh, that means that you could support life in this wormhole, which is also brand new information. And then... Suddenly there's a bump or a thud and it seems like you've landed on something or they go outside onto this place that has atmosphere M class they can they can walk out but what they see is completely different what Cisco is seeing is this rocky scary looking place and what Dax sees is a beautiful 
idyllic setting. So that was, how did you shoot that, by the way? Did you have to shoot in two different places or was it a green screen or how was that? I'm pretty sure there was a green screen for the scary planet. I see. We were in uh, the gorgeous uh, botanical gardens in, I believe, pa- Pasadena. Oh yeah, there's some Isn't botanical. The big, that's where they did Fantasy the Island. Huntington Gardens is that what you? Yes, something. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was really pretty, mm. but we had to get there at like one thirty in the morning. It was just awful. Oh wow. <laughs> For hair and makeup and to be ready for the sunrise. Sure. And yeah, you know, you know the deal. Oh, you know sure. the deal. <laughs> yeah, they're seeing totally different things. And then suddenly they see an orb uh floating nearby. I love the camera move in this scene, by the way. The way it kind of moved around the orb. It was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And that's why I asked, like, how did it you was. shoot it? Because that was a tricky scene to be two different environments and moving the camera around this this orb that's floating it was it, this was very complex to shoot for sure marvin rush mm-hmm. marvin rush marvin is such marvin a rush. yeah he did a great mm-hmm. job and this whole episode he did a great job mm-hmm. um cisco does try to talk to the uh to the orb and then suddenly they're both hit with these bolts and like green energy bolts or something from the orb. And then both of the the environments kind of flicker and Dax disappears into this energy. And Cisco is just lying on the ground with this white light sort of enveloping him. And I loved this close-up. Again, Marvin Rush did an incredible job of this stylized kind of energy white light around Cisco. And we see in into uh space the wormhole sort of, I guess, opening up in this orb traveling. So we're into this non-linear time idea, I think, at this point. We go back to the station. O'Brien says he's got another a neutrino disruption. And they've decided to try to move, I think, move the station at this point, right? Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. All I know is all the bottles in my bar fell over when we moved the station. That's all. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> When we started to move it, I was in that scene, and I remember talking to uh, Chief O'Brien about it. I remember that. The orb is beamed into the transporter room, and the orb disappears, revealing Dax. So Dax is brought back, but Cisco's still in the uh, the wormhole there. Mm. Yeah, we see Cisco first in this white nowhere. Uh, we see Jennifer on the beach. He has a flash of that. A baseball game. We see Kai Opaka. He has all these flashes. He starts talking to the orb in this white limbo. And we see a newborn baby here. We see Jake fishing. So all of these images, his whole life, every experience he's ever had is kind of in one moment, in one experience. He starts talking to Jennifer on the beach. He asks, who are you? And Jennifer, now all these characters in his memories are becoming the orb in a way. Jennifer responds, it is corporeal, a physical entity. And now it's Picard talking to him in the observation lounge. Picard says, it is responding to visual and auditory stimuli, linguistic communication. So they're starting to, this entity is starting to understand Cisco, mm-hmm. like Cisco is s- slowly starting to understand this entity. In the monastery, Opaka says, what are you? Cisco explains, I'm human. I come from Earth. We jump to the fishing pond. Jake says, Earth. Cisco explains, well, this is what my planet looks like, like where Jake is fishing. And he says, you and I are different species. It'll take us a while to understand each other. So they're really starting to get to know each other. 
They intercut this white limbo that I just love that shot that Marvin did. We go back to uh, to ops. Dax is back on the on the uh, station explaining the wormhole to the crew that it's not an ordinary wormhole. Mm-hmm. It might have been driven by these orbs um, that may have created it. Kira says, you know, this wormhole is so unique. It might shape, reshape the future of this entire quadrant. So that speaks to Armin to what you were talking about. That Kira gets it uh, as a Bajoran. She gets, she gets the power of this of this wormhole, and uh, and she she thinks Bajorans have to stake a claim to it, and that the Federation should back it. That if the Federation can back this and and support her, that uh, that this would be an incredible, it would change the dynamic in this in this part of space. Dax has to figure out how to travel the station back, and this is where. She's she's trying to figure out how to move the station. This is the scene where she and O'Brien talk about it. Um, O'Brien says, you know, this whole station will break like an egg if if we can't make this work. And they're also under a time crunch because the Cardassians are making their move too at this point. So they're figuring out how to move this ship. They only have six engines, by the way. This is this ship is made to move, but very slowly. Like station, they, not a station. Or station. Yes. yes. This station is meant to like. It's it's meant to be able to move slowly, but not not the speed that they need to get to the coordinates of the wormhole. Next, we cut to a corridor on the station, and the team is all heading off. Odo catches up with them, and he basically, in this scene, demands to join them. He's he's like, I was found in the Denorius belt, and I don't know where I came from, and I need to know if there's others like me. So this is where we see Odo. For the mm-hmm. first time, I felt like Odo was really revealing something a little more, more vulnerable about himself that he doesn't mm-hmm. know a lot about himself and that this wormhole could be a key to finding out some of those answers. And that becomes an important theme uh, as the show goes on. And okay. it's also the beginning of, it is the first creation of the Deep Space Nine away team. Oh, mm. interesting. People who, the people who join up for this particular mission are the usual away team. For, mm. for, for future episodes, this is the team that's going to be going out on, I see. So the, yeah, so that that way team is comprised of Odo and Odo, Kira, Kira, Cisco, Dax, Dax uh, and I believe that's it. Uh, okay. And sometimes Bashir when okay. they need a doctor, and yeah. sometimes O'Brien. Uh, yeah, but rarely O'Brien. But yes, yeah, yeah. because okay. he was busy doing movies. All right. Yes, because he's busy doing movies. Exactly. Exactly. In Ireland. Okay. All right. Got it. Anywhere. Wherever. We never knew. Where, yes. We never knew where Colin was. We never knew where Colin That guy's resume. Truly. It's just like, what? Amazing. Yeah. yeah. And all from all right. being a transporter chief. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Exactly. A lower decker. <laughs> well, if he did 55 episodes of TNG and you guys did 172 or whatever it is, he did a lot of Star Trek episodes. He did. Yes, he did. He did more and, than all of And us. the movies at yeah. the same time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Busy guy. And the story comes back to Cisco basically talking with this entity from the orb about their dif- differences. The orb comments about Cisco's aggressiveness and uh, thinks that it, maybe it should destroy Cisco. And Cisco talks about uh, that humans are the sum of their experiences. That it's not just that we're just aggressive, that as we have more experiences, uh, that their past sort of, you know, informs who they become. And so he's starting to describe linear time to this entity that doesn't understand linear time. They think 
all things are just one thing. But Cisco's going, no, we're more than that. We're our past, our future, that that's the nature of linear existence. He says, you don't have to fear me. You don't have to be afraid. So I love that conversation. Very philosophical. One of the prominent aspects of Star Trek, all Star Trek, is to comment upon the human condition and what it's like to be human. That's, that's an important part of the ethos of Star Trek. And here we have that in spades uh, dealing in, uh, with this episode. Yeah. As, as Cisco tries to explain humanity to the wormhole aliens. Yeah, it, it was a great Which is scene not easy. Of, you know, I mean, that's a, yeah. such an abstract concept for someone to try to explain to some aliens that you've never met before what humanity is about, that we're not there to destroy everything. It's very difficult. And this is the brilliance of Michael Pillar. Yes, mm. I was going to say this the same is thing. Michael Pillar at his best. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, and so revealing about uh, Cisco being stuck in his past, mm-hmm. stuck yeah. at mm-hmm. the most traumatic moment of his life. Right, and I think that is what is my favorite part of the whole show. Here mm. Mm. is showing his journey getting unstuck as he's explaining all of this to these beings Mm -hmm. that he doesn't know, but it feels like his life is hanging in the balance. Yes. And that I love too, that you mentioned about Marvin's uh, Marvin Rush's uh, making that weird glowy feeling. Beautiful. I, it made me feel kind of embraced and encapsulated into the whole scene too, as a watcher. I felt like I was part of the urgency that Cisco, the kind of a, I felt like there was a bit of danger underlying this whole thing. Like if, if Cisco answers one thing wrong, you don't know what's going to happen. It didn't feel completely safe to me. Yeah. Yeah, but his his ability to really take finally take in all of how he keeps bringing them back to Jennifer's uh, dying, mm-hmm. and finally, finally facing all of that trauma and sitting in it. I mean, I've been in trauma therapy, and that is what it's all about: is really sitting there and facing mm. all of that pain and letting it just be and it's such a hard thing as a human being to sit in pain mm-hmm. we we just naturally to heal ourselves want to push things away that hurt us but we have to face them and he does so in such a great um tender and eloquent way yeah it just i really felt it in my heart watching him weep. oh this was a beautiful script by michael pillar the 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 concepts were very abstract but he found a sci-fi way to really bring them to life so beautifully. I thought he did a great job. Yeah. Uh, Next we go to ops and we see O'Brien is struggling to free the station and get, get this uh, force field established so that it can travel on these six engines, these thrusters to move the station. Armin, like you were saying um, in a way that I didn't, I didn't know it could do. So this is a great kind of techno babble scene about that, about the, about the uh, the force field and stabilization and uh, the field looks like it's collapsing. The computer says it's going to collapse. And ultimately uh, he's able to redirect the flow of the deflectors and stabilize the field. And I love the end of the scene where O'Brien, after fighting all of these um, challenges, he says to the computer, computer, 
you and I have to have a little talk. <laughs> so I love, I love at the end how he sort of wraps up one of those uh, techno babble spe- scenes. Speaking of the computer, um, I could have sworn the computer voice was Nana. Did did that? Did you? Anybody? It didn't else? sound like Majel to it me. It didn't sound like Majel. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was it, it somebody different me. at first, and then they switched to Majel. I thought they, it might they were still Major negotiating guys. with her. I, yeah, yeah, <laughs> her contract was wasn't Majel, and it sounded person. like Nana. Now we'd have to ask <laughs> Nana uh, if it was her voice, but yeah. it, it was a voice close to Nana's. If it wasn't Nana's, mm-hmm. yeah, it didn't sound like Majel. I don't know who it was, mm-hmm. but wow. but that surprised me because I know that Majel did the computer voice for you guys. And she did it for us the entire she, seven years for Voyager. Yeah, Voyagers, maybe so there was I, something she wasn't available or they tried something and then decided weird. to go back to Majel. Yeah. It's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We go to the runabout and uh, Dax and Kira, Bashir is on the on the uh, runabout. How many runabouts did you have? You had a lot of cool ships. I'm jealous. You this I is wouldn't just know. I wasn't on any of them, so <laughs> I wouldn't know. <laughs> We basically I thought we had, only had two. Court I thought we had never two runabouts, but I could be wrong. Any shuttle in the entire never, oh never my sat on not, not one shuttle. Now I had a ship of my own for one episode, oh. but uh, but uh, never a shuttle. No. So never. instead of a landlubber, you're a station lubber. You never left there. Oh my goodness. Uh, as as Berman explained to me, yeah, Quark is the station. <laughs> okay, oh, I wow. love it. I love it. Well, that's a very big compliment. Wow. It is. Because I Bork think Berman yeah, valued the ships and the stations more than the people often that that they were. Mm. He, in fact, I think he said that once to us. He said, you know, the show is called Star Trek Voyager. That's the ship. That's the star of the show. Mm. And just wanted to make sure we all knew who yeah. was the star. So on this runabout, Dax, Kira, Bashir, they're there. Odo's there. Gul Dukat shows up. They try to talk him into turning around. They say it's too dangerous, but he doesn't want to listen. And he's going to head towards this wormhole. Um, any any thoughts about shooting um, on the on those shuttles? Not from Armin, since he didn't go on. Them, but, <laughs> but I like shooting on them. I, I did. did too. I thought they were fun. And yeah. it, it, it limited their ability to actually shoot. Uh, you know, coverage yeah. and everything was difficult, yeah. but I think that actually helped the scenes be kind of more simplistic to shoot. So we were yeah. sort of in and out, which made it kind of great, mm-hmm. but yeah, it was fun because it, was... it felt like being a kid and pretending yes. <laughs> like it'd be yes. totally in pretend mode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Gul Dukat does not listen, cuts off the transmission. He's headed to the wormhole. We're back with Cisco and he's still talking to this entity. They hear children playing. Cisco says, yes, uh, Nothing could be more beautiful. What could be more beautiful, which I love that, you know, again, family themes. He talks about the children's laughter. Jennifer, as the entity and Cisco kiss in this scene, and Jennifer tries kissing her fingers after the kiss, which I thought was a great little detail that yeah. the, the sensation of a kiss, she was trying to understand it or the entity as Jennifer was mm-hmm. trying to understand it pleasure and physical touch um and cisco says yes good feelings happiness that's what it is so i love that cisco was sharing with this entity all of the experiences of being human it was very again really well done by uh, by by michael pillar we're still in cisco's hallucination let's call right. it with jennifer you're still talking about jennifer yeah well okay. we're on the Sarato- in the saratoga corridor 
and he's talking to the tactical officer and then Jennifer appears there, but she's in a bikini on the ship. Ah, do you, do okay. you remember that? Yes. Yes. She's still wearing the bikini. I was the just like, yes. Why is she in a bikini on the ship? It just felt <laughs> weird to me. I don't know. The fact that she was there. They just wanted to see her in a bikini again. I think, I mean, she looked great in a bikini, but yes. <laughs> something about being on the ship sort of took me out of, I wish she had just, I don't know if, if Jennifer had showed up in a different location but with the appropriate clothes for that location would have would have right. There's another section where she's wearing a dress that is less kind yes. of yes. jarring to yes. be like, what is she wearing? <laughs> yeah. You shouldn't have that. That shouldn't take you out of the scene. What someone's yes. wearing. It took me out of then the scene a little be. bit. That's yeah. why that's why I made the note about the bikini on the ship. Okay. Because it, it did feel a little weird. All right. Cisco's getting very emotional. The, the entity is saying, you exist here. The, the, the entity starts, as Jennifer starts saying, uh, you exist here. And Cisco's getting uh, very moved and emotional by that because he's starting to realize that linear time, he's starting to absorb nonlinear time and the past and all of this is still part of him. So this is the beginnings of that. Uh, we go on to the runabout when suddenly the wormhole opens, but it shuts again. So we don't know what's what's happening here. We come back to Cisco and he, he asked the entity, what's happening? Uh, are you still here? The entity says, there's more of your kind have showed up. And he's, Cisco asks, is this the wormhole? And the entity doesn't know what a wormhole is, which I found fascinating. The entity's like, what, what's a wormhole? What is that? But the, the entity says, yes, it's terminated. And uh, our existence is disrupted whenever one of yours enters this passage. So this other ship, which was the Cardassians, I think, right at this point, the Cardassians are the ones that interrupted yes. it. So they're they're messing everything up as it's, usual. Goldicott has entered now. Exactly. Yeah. And the entity doesn't like that. So they've kind of, sh- they've messed it up. They, they've ruined this great conversation that Cisco was having. And uh, the entity says, well, there's consequences for, for your actions, for our choices. And Cisco explains, yes, uh, we're aware that every choice we make has a has a consequence. Cisco explains, we don't know what the consequences of, of our choices are going to be. So more big ideas. You know, there's so many big philosophical ideas in this conversation with Cisco and the entity. And it's it's sometimes hard to keep up with it as it jumps around. And if I may say that particular line, we we never know what the consequences of our choices are. Mm-hmm. Uh, screamed out at me when I watched the show again this week because I thought that was exactly what was in meta time. In, in They were creating a show that was different and they had no idea what the choices, how they, mm. what would happen with those choices. Where would these characters go? Where would this story go? What, what was going to happen? I literally thought that was that was Pillar and the writing team subconscious speaking. We have no idea where this is going to go, but we look forward to the adventure, but mm-hmm. we don't know where this is going. So mm. that that was one of the things I just thought, oh, that that has great echoes with me. Yeah. Mm. I think very that, nice, Armin. Yeah, very nice. I, th- I I think there's a lot of those moments in this pilot where there's there's a story idea happening, but there's also the idea about this first episode of your series. You know, it kind of resonates on multiple levels. And I, I mean, think, meta. It's 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 different. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, Cisco explains to the entity about about his family, about deciding to marry Jennifer, about having a child and not knowing how that's all going to turn out, which brings them to the baseball field. Cisco explains about competition, about about games and about how he and Jake play this game called baseball on the holodeck. And the entity asks, well, what's baseball? And uh, Cisco, I like Cisco's <laughs> response. He goes, I was afraid you were going to ask that. That sounds like Michael Pillar. Like it does. If, if I were to ask Michael, Michael, explain why you love baseball so much. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Um, but he does explain the game about hitting the ball. You try to anticipate uh, you know, th- your opponent's next move, you set a strategy for possibilities, but with each new play comes a new consequence. And that's how the game unfolds and the game of baseball takes shape. I love that Michael used baseball as part of his explanation of time and consequences and how one thing leads to the next. And it's ironic, again, being meta about this, your series, TNG, they were all enormously linear in the sense you went from one place to another and and you dealt with what was there and then you moved on to the next one. We, on the other hand, were not necessarily linear. We we would go someplace and then we might go back and revisit a relationship Mm -hmm. uh, because everybody was jam-packed on that station together. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that for me, we are the least linear show whereas the shows around us were very linear. Yeah. Well, we weren't wrapped in a package. That's right. It wasn't like we started the show, oh, look, here's the problem. We're going to figure out the problem. Oh, by the end of the show, we're going to fix it all and tie it up in a bow, and there's your show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's we not broke that pattern, was. and 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 to uh, the writer's credit, uh, that's what most TV is about nowadays. It's not about solving your problems in 44 minutes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is far more human. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So now we have a first officer's log supplemental. They've rendezvoused with the space station at the coordinates of the wormhole, but their scans reveal no trace of either the wormhole or Gulducott's ship. We learn in this log, uh, three Cardassian warships cross the border headed this way. No doubt they're searching for Ducat. Back in ops, we do see that Cardassians are arriving, looking for their their missing ship. Dax says that they're flooding subspace with anti-lepton interference to cut off their communications. So basically a space battle is starting to happen here. Um, and the Cardassians want unconditional surrender from the space station or they're going to open fire. Bashir says he can't believe the Cardassians would attack a Federation outpost like this. That would be a major aggressive move. And I asked myself while watching, <laughs> why does the space station have shields. What, what, what was the purpose of giving <laughs> a mining station shields? Um, and I went, I'm, you know, it makes the story better and is, of course, uh, old style Star Trek technology. Yeah. But I'm going, it, really, it doesn't make any sense for a space station to have shields. Well, this is my well, theory. This is my theory. They have shields to protect from asteroid showers, like any type of random crazy. Oh, I like Thank that. you, Garrett. Space Thank debris you very that's flying much. Because it's a I mining station. You don't want damage from don't. random asteroids. <laughs> but I don't think we have shields. No, but oh, they yeah, do. You do. Oh, shields. There are shields. Yeah, we you've do? Gotta, yes. Yeah, you've got to have the shields to I be able to O'Brien move I thought O'Brien said it. that we don't. Oh, we no, do. No, that's how you... That's how you put the shields around and you you used your deflector or something. That's how you got the ship 
to and, move. And, yes, and, la- and later when the Cardass get when the Cardassians are firing on D Space Nine, the yeah. shields are activated, and they even say shields are down oh, to twenty percent. Right. So there are always been they shields. They do, meaning there. my character says that they're down. Yes, your character says that. I mean, Armin, I think you're right. Like, why would they have <laughs> battle shields? <laughs> but I think the writers were so used to exactly constantly having these disaster moments near the end of every episode where you've got to have certain technologies like shields and well that would make sense you don't know if someone's going to try to overrun the station yeah it also helps write stories every week where there's some (laughs) yes let's do that scary thing let's do that yeah uh we go back to cisco he's in his quarters now still talking to the entity he asks why did in his quarters why did you bring me here? His, the answer he gets is you exist here. Yeah. You, so the right? entity yeah. keeps saying you exist here. Yeah. You and bring us here. You are the one that keeps bringing us the back that, to this yes. same time and every location. You it's keep not coming us. back yeah. here. Yeah. And yeah. finally it hits, it hits Cisco. Yeah. That, that he's stuck in this moment and he's got to accept that. And move on that he's got to stop living like, in the I, past, stop living in the past. I, I guess the entity in some ways was saying, this is part of you. You don't have to hang on to it so t- tightly. It'll always be a part of you, but you've got to let go. You've got, mm-hmm. you've got to trust that. Yes. Jennifer mm-hmm. is a part of you, that she is here with you, but you've got to let her go. It's a weird kind of, uh, you know, dichotomy in a way. You've got to be able to grieve and let go at the same time. Isn't it also explaining what they may have been trying to understand him explaining linear time, and yet he's not honoring linear time because he's living in the past. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And this is where I also earlier got way ahead of myself talking about uh, him facing his trauma. Yeah, but this is yeah, the scene, though, isn't this the this scene where the, the light bulb turns on, where he's like, "Oh my yeah. God, I get yes. it now!" Right? This, this is yes. this is the one I was talking about, so I got way ahead of myself. To me, this was such an. It was the moment I was looking for earlier for Cisco to grieve, and now it made sense to me. Oh, he didn't grieve because he wasn't letting go. He was stuck there, yeah. but not really allowing himself to feel the way he needed to feel to be able to move on to linear time, to be able to move on with his life. And it was, he's finally started to grieve in this scene in mm-hmm. a way that was so healthy. And and uh, he even says, I've never figured out how to live without her. I've never figured out how to move on and live my life uh, without her. So it was a really, yeah, beautiful scene, beautifully written by Michael Pillar. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and Avery did a great job. We go to ops again. Uh, Dax says that the lead ship is hailing and wants an answer. They also, I think, mentioned the six photons in this scene. Yes. The photon <laughs> torpedoes. Yeah. And O'Brien, Kira's like, uh, fire all six photon torpedoes. And O'Brien's like, we've only got six, six pro- <laughs> photon torpedoes, <laughs> which I loved. We're not and gonna again, win I this. ask, why does a mining station have, have photon, photon torpedoes? <laughs> again, <laughs> to fire at really large asteroids are coming at you. So you got to break them apart so that your shields can sort of deflect. And those can be very pieces. dangerous when they break they apart. They can yeah. be, yes. Is, it, yes. is this not originally a Cardassian station? It is, no, yes. It's a mi- yes, wow. it's a mining station. It's a mi- yeah, but it's they, they're, 
but yeah, the Cardassians are so warlike, right? so that makes sense that they arm their own station, right? Exactly. Like, and what if you're going to try a mining station? You'd be trying to steal my mining shit. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm I'm only telling you where my mind goes. That's all. That's all. Everyone yeah, must see their own choice. say on the view screen, don't you try to steal our mining shit. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what the Bajorans did eventually. They stole the mining the shit. Mining shit. See? Yeah. But they didn't have any more photon torpedoes. So. Yes. That's right. Because they used them all on the Bajorans. They used Kira, them all. Kara shot all six torpedoes <laughs> in this scene. All six. What, they're gone. What she was trying to, sh this is a game of chicken. She's trying oh, to show them totally. that, like, hey, watch this. We can do this to you. But not yeah. telling them that they have no more photon torpedoes. They're trying yeah. to make them think that they have a lot more it's armaments. Like, they're right? trying to make them. Yeah, she yeah. she fires off all six. Yeah. And they they hail her. Basically, he says, if you, you know, you can't defend yourself, we could take you guys in a second. And she's she's very she has a ton of bravado. She's very. Yeah, she's playing chicken. We will yeah. remember and that that we'll find out a little bit later that is hinted at in this episode. But we will find out later that. Akira is a terrorist. And, oh, and as a no. terrorist, uh, these are the tactics of a terrorist. Oh. You, right, you make you make grand gestures with nothing to, to support it later on. But okay. Yeah, this is what you do. You try to intimidate. Well, that yeah. gives me context. Big. Thank you, Armin. <laughs> I did not. Big yeah, intimidation. that's okay. important to know. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, they they challenge them. The Cardassians scan their their station. He says, like, okay, your space station could not even defend itself against one Cardassian warship. And then she's like, yeah, you're probably right. And if you were dealing with a Starfleet officer, they probably admit we're in a hopeless cause here. But I'm a Bajoran who's been fighting for her whole life against Cardassians. So if you want a war, I'll give you one. So that makes yeah. him think. He's like, okay, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Oh, boy. So it's it just again, it's just trying to give them more time, buying more time because they're trying yeah. to make him hesitate. Right. From yeah, in. she's she's really putting on a show. But the yeah. Cardassians scan the station and they say, well, they're using a Thoron field to block our sensor so we can't penetrate it. Um, what are their defenses? Jassad asks. And then then they say, according to our scans, they've got 5000 photon torpedoes, phaser banks on all levels. So their scans make it look like yeah. the station has thousands of weapons right and and is that yeah. what odo left at yes the, on that's the ship? why they okay. sent odo over there yeah to to mess with their with their you know scanners and their and their computers so hmm. all these pieces of their strategy and the plan uh, as a team is coming together yeah and um Dax, we go back to ops. Dax says uh, they're sending out messages asking for reinforcements. So it worked. Hmm. They think that the station has thousands of of weapons, but they they don't. Now it's a Cardassian station. The Cardassians would know what that station. Oh, had. yeah. And in fact, they say, how could they have possibly implemented this? There wasn't <laughs> enough time for them to do this, and yeah. that's yes. how they figure out that it was a ruse on our part. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah, and they even yeah. say, like, how did they do it without our knowledge? No, like, they couldn't I, have. Yeah. We couldn't have. Yeah. Yeah. They no. just left. <laughs> it I just mean, happened. Yeah, they, they do send that subspace message for reinforcements. But in the meantime, they get into attack formation anyway yes. and start firing yes. on the station. They regardless. do start firing. Yes. And that's when civilians, we cut to the promenade running and screaming. And that must have been a big, a big setup to get uh, all those people 
and 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 and, the and Dennis Madelone people and Dennis yeah. Madelone exactly <laughs> everybody involved yeah we go back to ops O'Brien says well you know they they must be testing us mm-hmm. and O'Brien thinks he could run a compression wave through the phaser banks put out a blast that'll maybe slow them down make them think twice the Cardassians are doing some damage at this point we cut back to the promenade and Bashir puts Odo's hand on someone's neck wound and I love that uh, Odo was very nervous about this <laughs> do you remember this yeah was like Bashir's like calm down Odo Odo was very yes he was he was very and I never I don't understand that I I really don't understand Did that not that. ever come back no there's no no mm-hmm. I no uh Odo do you I mean, do you think that do you think the changelings are grossed out by human blood? Something along those lines that there's some. That's weird, what I like, was wondering. Is like he's to, tough on, on on you know when in his comfort zone, but when yeah. it comes goes outside of his comfort zone. If that's so, yeah. My memory, there is no other occasion where that happens. Okay, where Odo was thrown by by, by medical oh, oh, blood or by, or by touching another human. God knows okay. he touched me enough times, but. Um, <laughs> Of course, I wasn't human, so maybe that's you were not. That's, that's, yeah. That was um, the issue. He can touch other aliens, but not yeah, humans. Just not humans. Humans, because <laughs> they have humans, cooties. Humans. Yeah. humans have cooties. That's why yeah. he didn't touch. Well, we humans. do. Um, anyway, I, that was that was very strange for me. I went, yeah. "Where is that coming from? That's out of outer space." So that gave you pause as well when you saw that's that. funny because yeah. having not seen the show, to me, I thought, "Oh, that's an interesting, unexpected quality Character trait." Of, yeah. yeah, but. Mm. But it doesn't sound like they pursued it. Yeah. Um, we go back to ops. It looks like the Cardassians are going to destroy this station when suddenly there's a there's a neutrino disturbance and on screen the, the wormhole opens up. We see the runabout, Cisco's runabout, towing this Cardassian warship, towing it out of the wormhole. Mm-hmm. And uh, Cisco appears on the view screen and he says, "Sorry, uh, sorry, I'm a little late." Our friend Gul Dukat had some problems on the other side. <laughs> um, Gul Dukat signals his ships to, to disarm. So then we go to the promenade and Cisco's coming out. There's casualties everywhere from that brief battle. I'm shocked 13. no one died. I am absolutely shocked. It was just 13 injured. That's it. After all no that fatalities. that we see, yeah. no fatalities. Yeah. Yeah. And Cisco sees Jake and he's got a big smile here. And he calls for Jake and Jake runs over dad and they have this hug. So I love Cisco's journey and that he kind of bookends it here with Jake and this, this, uh, this family moment uh, Mm. was wonderful. I know it really meant a lot to Avery to make sure, especially being a man of color to show him being a good father. Mm -hmm. Really important. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, it, it played here. It played really well here. Cisco has a station log. He says the life forms who created the wormhole have agreed to allow safe passage for all ships traveling to the Gamma Quadrant. With the arrival of the Enterprise, the Cardassians have left the area. So here we go. Yeah. Introducing the eighth series regular, the wormhole. Uh, we've got a scene in the commander's office with Picard and Cisco again. Cisco says, uh, regarding this conversation we had about someone replacing me, I'd prefer that you ignore that. So we realize he's going to stay and uh, they shake hands and there's a really nice smile between the two of them, which felt great for the story. And, and, and a little bit like Picard and Cisco have a understanding that Cisco's going off with his ship. And it was just a nice 
launching the series moment to me. It was a very warm, supportive, understanding smile between these two captains, commander and captain. It was a nice moment. It and felt Picard's, like mu- mutual Picard's, respect. Mutual respect, exactly. Yes. Yes. And it, it, it was great that that happened after the earlier scene. I felt was, it was oh, still all oh, that anger and tension. tension. Yeah. That was really nice. And I love Picard's last line, good luck, Mr. Cisco." Mm-hmm. Again, a bit meta here, but mm-hmm. um, really great. Mm-hmm. Uh, our very last scene is on the promenade. Bashir is walking with Odo. Uh, he says, so where can someone practice with a, with his phaser around here? And uh, which I... <laughs> Which I liked. Is that is that was that line about Odo not wanting weapons on the ship? Is that yeah. what that was about? Yeah, yeah. probably. So, it's so funny to me because that surprised me in this. Like I said earlier in this in this show, that there's no weapons because we had weapons everywhere. We were just firing. Very English. It's very British to not have weapons for <laughs> no weapons. People. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. A Bobby. A Bobby. Yeah. Yes. Uh, we also have Quark and Kira talking and uh, Kira says you can't cheat every customer that walks in the door you're the community leader now and uh, he says maybe we can discuss these new rules over a drink and Kira says if you don't take your hand off my hip you'll never be able to raise a glass with it again so essentially (laughs) Quark is kind of making a little bit of a move on on uh, tries to make a move yeah yes and as she walks away uh, Armin's line oh I love love a woman in uniform that's the line (laughs) (laughs) That that was that was the line for me, yeah. not only in the episode but yeah. in the audition. Oh, yeah, it was your oh. audition scene uh, mm. because uh, I auditioned three times, I think, and um, I knew I had gotten the role when I met the suits, and there were like thirty-one suits the last time I auditioned, mm. and um, they all laughed, and I thought, oh, good. Because I, and all through the audition, yeah. I'm anticipating getting to that line <laughs> because if they don't laugh, I know I'm in trouble. <laughs> and With so the I laughed, and, I, and uh, I felt good about myself, and then, um, and then Berman came out. And, Armin, in your audition, I think you knocked out of the park because usually in a room full of suits, maybe one or two will laugh. But if you had the entire room laughing, you killed that audition. Well, as yes. I said, they, for the most part, I would assume they already knew that I was going to be on the show. So okay. as I, said, I was the first person hired and, and was hired relatively immediately after that audition. Yeah. One of the things that I loved about this pilot episode was the very last shot. And that was that crane shot that went up and showed the whole promenade. And it was the first time you felt like that I felt like I had seen that whole set that I felt like, oh my gosh, this place is enormous. The potential is enormous. I just felt like that last image was great, that we're going to get to see all of these people's lives and these relationships. And it was framed in a beautiful way. I love the way that David Carson ended the episode. It was great. Yeah. It was great. And that's our episode. Woo! That's it. We got through it. Look at that. All right. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations to us all. <laughs> Once again, we are going to talk about our theme slash lesson that we all get from this episode, because every Star Trek episode has the underlying message to be how to be a better human being. So, Robbie, do you want to start with your theme, please? Yes. Um, For me, the moral of the story was that we all have uh, a path to walk in life, linear time. (laughs) 
we all have fate that we're meant to fulfill and that we have to kind of reconcile our past before we're able to move on that we can't get you know that we that, that we can get stuck in our lives and until we kind of reconcile that we can't move on to what we're meant to do that, okay. that was my my lesson Mine is similar to yours. Mine's similar to yours. I'm going to say that if you are so obsessed with the past, you are not living in the present, which means you will have no future. Wow. You got past, present, and future in that theme. I I did. I did. Mm -hmm. Uh, All right. Uh, Terry, I'm going to ask Terry, what is your lesson for this episode? I am also with the two of you on, um, I think there has to be self-awareness. Mm-hmm. for all of us and um being present and realizing when you get yourself stuck in the past i mean you have to pay attention to what triggers you because that's where your lessons are with things that you need to learn mm-hmm. and um obviously cisco being triggered by seeing captain picard having to deal with Mm-hmm. all of that that's the beginning of seeing what actually is the chasm that he's dealing with and um i think it's easy for all of us to have things like that that get us stuck mm-hmm. yeah cool armin yeah. your lesson well that's all those are obviously true and and uh, at the forefront but but secondarily i would say that we all have to get beyond ourselves and learn to become community leaders I like it. Bring it home. We must look beyond ourselves. There are things beyond ourselves. Mm -hmm. Recognize it and and learn to help the community. Yeah. I like that one. I like that that one. That's awesome. Because when you get outside of yourself, generally, that's when your ego gets dropped too, right? Stop obsessing with it being about you. Your narcissism gets put on the back burner. Perfect. Great. Wow. I'm so excited that everyone is here, but we have done it. We've gone through and we've talked about and discussed and recapped the very first and second episode, the pilot of DS9. So everyone join us next week when we will be talking about the episode past prologue. And for all of our Patreon patrons, please stay tuned for your bonus material. Thanks everybody. See you next week. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.